I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shiny. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had the shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. Promise <laughs> I was gonna let Justin do it. Damn, Justin, <laughs> you're so you're fucking us up already. Jeez. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Fascinated with Films. What is going on? Yes, Justin's not here. Justin's uh, off. Being well, famous. He's, pre- he's preparing to uh, do his trip to go to uh, Beyond Survivor. In Vegas, you say it was in like no, uh, Nashville. No, it was uh, Nashville. That's right, it was Nashville. I don't know why I keep wanting to make it Vegas. <laughs> you just really want him to go to Vegas. <laughs> I don't think he needs to no go. Wonder he looked at me I don't weird, think he like, needs to go to Vegas. I gave him a hundred and told him to put it on red for me. He's like, okay. Because <laughs> 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 he had to figure that one out on himself. <laughs> He's drinking Johnny Walker Red right now. <laughs> yeah. So luckily for Justin, we uh, we've got a good category that he hasn't seen a whole lot of these movies, so he'll be able to list along with everybody else and uh, learn some stuff from it. But before that. I went to the movies last night. Oh, you saw did? the sneak preview of uh, Jay and Silent Bob's reboot, oh. and my God, it was it was funny as hell. If you, really? you'd have to be a Kevin Smith fan because it was nothing but callback after callback after like was it who tiresome the hell is, though? No, no, you know, it was good. Callbacks? When you know the whole movie is supposed to be that, it's not that bad. But there was some really good stuff with it. One of the funniest things I've seen on the movies in forever, and. I think I swear only five people in the theater got it because he went kind of high level movie uh, joke on people, and him and Jay are coming across. Uh, they come across this group of Klansmen, very similar to like Fletch Lives, I guess. And uh, <laughs> they have to sneak up. They kidnap the girls they're traveling with, so they have to sneak up. Uh, Silent Bob has to distract them while Jay gets on the truck and unties the girls, and he goes into the Alec Baldwin, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross speech. <laughs> so he's he's not talked the movie at all and he comes he comes just walking up with like a hood kind of over him and everything smoking a cigarette and they're like who is you uh he says who am i who am i and then he i he looks over and says put that pitchfork down and he says pitchforks are for clansmen <laughs> and then he goes on this huge huge rant and john cena is like the head kind of uh Klansman there that he's like what the hell Mitch and Murray sent me down who the hell's Mitch and Murray (laughs) (laughs) was really funny but it was one of those high level jokes that I'm wondering how many people got it but me and the other four people in the theater uh, were were thrilled it was packed theater though I mean there's a lot of Kevin Smith fans out there yeah yeah there is a lot of Kevin Smith fans Uh, I like Kevin Smith oh yeah even, even the, the silly, great. even the silly stuff. It, well, like most of it's silly stuff. Uh, yoga really. hosers, yoga hoses. I loved. I loved mall rats. I, mall rats and clerks are my uh, favorites. But I love dogma just as well. And they had this great uh, moment with Matt Damon came in, and you could tell that they just went. He just went to Matt Damon and had him film something where Matt Damon's sitting in like a pew and he turns around and he kind of <laughs> gives the postscript of his uh, character. And he's like, "I was, I was found uh, after you always thought I went to hell." Nope. He says, I found myself floating in the uh, Argenian Sea, and I was pulled out of the water by a <laughs> steam captain. Mm. So you can tell that he's going into the uh, uh, the Born Identity uh, origin, but they're not actually saying it. <laughs> so it's, it's really, really cleverly uh, done. And uh, Jay was awesome, and he was really funny. So 
Yeah, and I he, like those he's doing his movies man. outside of Hollywood, right? He's he's finding the money himself. Oh yeah, he's crowdfunding or he's just yeah, doing uh, stuff like that. That's it, the way man. to do it, man. And he's got, he's got so many friends in Hollywood that this movie was yeah. filled with like people no, that you didn't. He can get any actor. Yeah. He got fun. he got Thor to come in and do a whole yeah. like scene. Who wouldn't and go and do a Kevin Smith yeah. bit role? You're in one yeah. day and you know a lot of people are gonna see it, you know it's gonna be funny. Yeah. There's another in, great line where he, he's gotta wear like an Iron Man type suit at the end. And it's weird because Kevin Smith's on the movie, but so is Silent Bob because they're kind of invading they wanna stop the reboot, but Kevin Smith is actually doing the reboot. <laughs> so he's on the he's on camera and he's kind of in the audience and everything, and there's a great scene where the the silent bob character comes in wearing an Iron Man suit and uh, Kevin Smith's off to the side and he says, Oh, Marvel's gonna sue the shit out of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the um <laughs> The detective that Johnny Depp played in oh, Yoga yeah, Hosers. Yeah. So funny. Was so good. And he so did good. not promote was that very at all. Peter Sellers. Oh, very much so. And they did not promote that at all. They see kept how that I, like. See uh, how I tied that in. Oh, yeah. There is some <laughs> Peter Sellers coming up on, the, on this pot. And you know what I've realized? I realized all the jokes I make on the pot are to get him la- to laugh. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> You're playing to an empty chair right yeah. now. You like Eastwood. Um, what do I do? How do I. <laughs> I don't even know how to be funny. I can throw in a couple <laughs> Justin laughs here and there, just to, like uh, make you feel good when you watch it later. Yeah, on. pull some pull some <laughs> clips so I, I can hear him laughing. I feel like uh, calling him right now. I don't know if he's busy or not. We we should get him on the. Uh, we have not Guess tried spot on. We the have the not podcast. tried the like uh, have it on speakerphone up to the thing. I would like to hear how it sounds. Uh, but we'd have to wait until uh, we get down to The Shining or something. Uh, yeah, but what we're doing today, this is our director's pod. We do it. We've done, should I usually kind of make note of how many we've done? I think we've done six or seven. You're slipping. I know, man. I'm totally slipping. Justin's not here to be the producer and look shit up either. <laughs> you can already tell how this pod's going to go. <laughs> Damn. Let's just jump into we're it. We're just guessing. We're going to guess everything we say today. Uh, luckily, it's a, it's uh, a subject we both have been fans of, Stanley Kubrick, which is obviously what this pod's about. Uh, we're going to tackle 10 of his movies on here. Really, the only two we kind of left off was Fear and Desire, which is his first one. Uh, which he didn't. He established a little bit of his style with his lighting and everything. And uh, it was black and white. It was black and white. It was before the killing. And uh, I left off uh, Spartacus and kind of honor him. I, I feel like he would want me to do that because he, he, he really did was not happy with. Well, Spartacus. it wasn't. He wasn't the main dude. Right? No, they brought him in. He uh, after somebody. So, yeah, something. Screwed up someone fucked. Didn't the cherry? Someone get screwed the boot and killed and some <laughs> people. Didn't people die on that set? On Spartacus? Yeah. That, see, now you're just throwing it shit, and we're not looking it up. So it happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the movie. Ten, it's in the movie. Ten, <laughs> twenty people died in that shit. <laughs> Or a bunch of horses, or some 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 death happened in that movie. And I think the only w- reason he was kind of drawn into Spartacus was a favor for Kurt Douglas too, because he had already worked with Kurt Douglas, and Kurt's like, "Hey, I can." Uh, I know Did he? It, uh, at that point. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I think Spartacus was bef- after Paz of okay. Glory and before okay. Lolita, so he uh, he had just worked with him. Um, it won awards though, didn't it? Spartacus, didn't it? yeah, I think it won like four awards, and it's a good movie. I I don't mind the movie. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. It's funny how he. Uh, if you're a fan of, it's uh, probably Gladiator. because of all the constraints he had to work. Oh with yeah, no, because he is a guy he is that, a control freak to he, save anything about this man. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> 
and I was telling Dave, and we'll earlier, go into details as some of the other movies come up on yeah, how crazy he was when it starts around Barry Lyndon. Not, not that he didn't do a lot of takes before that, but Barry Lyndon was kind of the most famous one where it started going insane, and Ryan O'Neill was like, "Is like even a thing where Ryan O'Neill is like, do the scene for me, Stanley, please, so I can mimic exactly what you're looking for because we're at like 125 takes right now, and I just can't take it." Yeah, I mean, you got to, and it's not because he couldn't convey himself to the actors. No. I'm sure oh, it was it's more hard. just he had well. I bet it was. Yeah, I bet it's more like every single exact thing had to be exactly right. Yeah, and I was like that with a director. Not all the time can I tell you what I'm looking for, but if I see that you do it, then I'll know that it's what I want. I mean, and then usually I'll do. I'll even do one more after that just to be safe. Get a safety. Uh, Get a couple takes if it's different deliveries. If we had like we did when we did movies, we were we were we were on a tight budget and we were on a schedule like crazy. So like if we told you our schedule, you wouldn't believe that we got seventeen days of filming. Yeah, we did not have time for more than two takes, let alone uh, 20 or 30. But if we had an extra week, I would have people do take after take after okay. take. Okay, yeah, of course. <laughs> if we had uh, a budget behind us and yeah. we weren't worrying if today was the last day we were going to film. Yeah. Because <laughs> the actor was going to leave or whatever. Well, what was interesting about Stanley is Stanley was a photographer. He was discovered. Hardcore. Like, uh, he was discovered on the street. He took a picture of something. I can't remember what it was. And uh, Life Magazine got wind of it and... Uh, signed him to be like a uh, what freelance photographer yeah. and bring them his shots and everything. And he had worked for them for a while. So he had that eye for photographs and everything. And you can always tell when someone has a really good eye. My wife uh, has a great line, eye when it comes dude. to photos. I, I feel like I know what exactly how I want things framed up because I've done movies with photos and everything. But to be able to know lighting, and this was back in the day when it was just black and white too, and that's a whole different lighting. We never did a black and white movie. It would have been interesting as hell, but we would have been guessing at a lot of that kind of uh, cinematic kind of style because you kind of really need a really good gaffer to come in to show you exactly uh, how a black and white movie could be lit. Yeah, it, what people don't understand is all the technicality behind every single thing. Oh, yeah. Like, it never looked like it was going to look. Mm-hmm. It was never done where it was supposed to have been yeah. done. It's just it's a lot of work. He, you, you see some behind-the-scenes stuff with him, and yeah. I'll talk about when you get to number seven, I will talk about yeah. some, just crazy stuff he had going on in the set. Uh, even, like... Uh, you look at this list here, the 10 movies, and he never filmed anything digitally. He died before that even happened. It uh, was probably... He, he died in 99. He died... They were doing it before then, but not much. What's that? They were doing some digital, but not yeah, much. Yeah, they were doing it where they were kind of... Tran- they were shooting it on film and then transferring it digitally just to do the editing. Because keep stuff. in mind, television was was digital. Yeah. Long before movies were oh, yeah. digital. But 99, 99 is when uh, widescreen just started becoming popular again. They just started releasing widescreen televisions. I, don't, I might have told you uh, before, and we'll talk a little bit about this director uh, later on, but Sidney Pollack at some point realized what pan and scan was when movies were coming out on DVD. Right, it made him crazy. And it made him crazy because what, <laughs> if you're not out there, if you don't realize if it, and now it's not a problem because we have widescreen television, but when you had the old tube televisions and everything, we loved having the widescreen shot, which is the way it was intended to be filmed. When what it, they would when show it at wasn't the movie like theater. that. What, Basically, what uh, the movie theater. Was yeah, what the movie show. theater would see. But the problem is, on your television, it's not constructed for widescreen, so yeah. they do do a thing called pan and scan. So they'll have this really wide shot of like, say, you got one person on one side of the screen and one person on the other, and then you see this weird floaty movement as the camera is going to both yeah. sides, and it's really disturbing if you're 
if you know what the scene should look like, if you know these two characters are supposed to be on the well, scene uh, screen at the same a time, pan, you'd have done a pan. Yeah, and that's that's the difference <laughs> I mean, too. And the reason I mentioned Sidney Pollack is because at some point Sidney Pollack says, "Well, fuck you, then I'm just going to film my movies in full screen, even though uh, that mm. way you, that way I know you're not going to screw my picture up." And so he did that for years, for like Which is a shame. for like ten years. And, this is and not he probably my did not format. like to, to do it that way, but he says not until it started changing did he go back to filming in widescreen. I uh, like six inch bars at the top and the bottom. Oh, I yeah. like the anamorphic, I was into that way I like the anamorphic before stuff. anyone else. And we probably had it a lot at the house because I remember specifically buying uh, buying movies that were letterboxed. Remember on VHS mm-hmm. it started getting popular with a lot of the 20th Century Fox movies. I remember having uh, Escape from New York really early on with like those uh, bars. And I was like, look at the difference. And they would show you on the inserts uh-huh. sometimes on the DVDs. Yeah. Like this is what you see with pan and scan. This is what you see with widescreen. So it, it's significant. If you're a true movie fan and you really like movies and directors, you want to see what they intended you to see. Absolutely. And this guy is one of those People. Oh yeah, this guy. This guy is probably on the top five greatest directors of all time. In my opinion, he's, he's probably the best. He's he's in my top three. Yeah, he's definitely in my top three. It, it would have to be him, Quentin, and probably Spielberg. I would say overall three is a no, hard thing. We'd the, have to expand it. The, the guy that did uh, <laughs> the guy Fincher's that did Zodiac. Fincher. Fincher. Yeah, Fincher is difficult. We've, it, but it depends. You could probably categorize who tells the best stories yeah, yeah. or who films the, the most yeah, beautiful. Yeah, because if you're talking Quentin, Quentin's strong point is his screenplays. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Stanley's... It's the lens. Is the, it's is visually. The, is the visually, oh. uh, the, the look of the film and the way how it's told. Uh, There's some movies he has. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, well, you know what's going on. There's a story, it's not as but like, it's uh, not as important as what you're seeing. It's true, but uh, I mean, maybe 2001 and, and Clockwork Orange, I guess, is a little ways like that, but... Uh, it's not as confusing as say uh, what Lynch, David Lynch. Who, who, oh yeah, who, he'll no, admit I don't mean I don't mean yeah, yeah. like that. Confusing, I don't mean yeah. it's confusing. Mm-hmm. I just mean the story isn't as important as what you're seeing. Oh, absolutely. There's there's several occasions on that where they he lets the lens tell the story uh, directly. Uh, I mean, even like later films with like uh, the run through the. Uh, through the snow maze in The Shining and stuff like that. All right, so let's start. We got 10 here. and we've, We're going to start back in 1956, and this was a movie that I learned early on, uh, early on still being after I probably saw uh, the slew of uh, Kubrick movies. But when I started, Dad liked this movie, I think. Uh, maybe. I don't remember him ever liking this one. The next one I definitely remember him liking. But the first one on the list is 1956, The Killing. And I learned about this when I went back, and I, I realized who Stanley Kubrick was and how great his stuff was, and I remember going back and the first old school movie of his I went to watch was The Killing and I was like this is friggin phenomenal I loved how this was told his second the actors movie, right? in it this was his technically his second movie because he Fear, stayed Fear and Desire was his first one I think it was 54 and then he went into The Killing it's funny that he stayed in black and white for a while I don't too. think he had a choice it, he really? didn't have a uh, not until his fifth movie That's did he true. ever they have they probably color. didn't do when did when was color a big thing it's hard that to should say. be a Justin, check it out. Check that out. <laughs> Can you add uh, Justin searching for that later yeah, and no. just put it in here? Type, 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 type. <laughs> I'll have him Insert keyboard sounds <laughs> here. Uh, We're only on that one, Justin. You're useless. All right. So the, the killing starred the great Sterling uh, Hayden, uh, which I absolutely loved, and we got to see even more so in Dr. Strangelove. Stanley Kubrick worked with... He's a, easy to tell people who he is if you... If you use that restaurant scene in the yeah, Godfather, and the Godfather. Part two. No one. Oh, it was one. Yeah, it that's was right, one. Michael. Yeah. 
And that was the yeah. Tell us what was going on in that. That's scene. when uh, he so played the chief. Chief. He was McCluskey, the chief of police, yeah. and uh, they were doing a retaliation for Sonny's That's murder, right. and uh, and Michael volunteered to do it. And so Sterling mem- was like a dirty ass cop. He, man. he had punched him in the face yeah, earlier. Earlier. In the movie, so he's like, ah, sorry about that thing earlier. Let's bygones be bygones. Well, yeah. they had a plan that Michael, played by the great Al Pacino, was going to yeah. come and shoot both of them mm-hmm. and then walk out of there and then exile himself to Italy. Yeah, Sterling had been at a bunch of stuff, and he was a great kind of, he had that great look. He was super tall. He was perfect in this movie. And the, Crazy long uh, neck. Yeah, he did have His neck is really strange. <laughs> it was even long. more memorable in Doctor Strange. Oh, my God. We'll talk a little bit about that. He was one of the best uh, comic relief of that whole movie. But with the killing, what we dealt with here was a... That's a weird name. We had we had watched it recently, and we commented on it. They were like, that's such an interesting name for it that I would have named it so many other now, things besides the killing. Because the it doesn't Making a, a killing is, that, I think, I what they're going for. Okay. And maybe it was more of a slang in the 50s. Yeah, I mean, maybe he wanted to get a lot of the people who thought it, was it a might lot be a killing. bloodbath back then yeah it was it was about a racetrack heist yeah it was a great heist movie it was really good this should be like a guy Ritchie movie if he redid it he could do it like like snatch or something because it was one of those great movies and in 56 it was it was hard to find some of these movies with this much depth and uh and love towards it that you see that was put into the killing because it, it really dealt with uh one guy had the perfect plan, but he had to plug in 12 other actors or 12 other kind of players in the scheme to be able to make it happen. You know, you've got uh, Sterling Hayden's kind of the main guy, but he needs one guy at the bar to, uh, to start a fight. And he needs one guy to be the ticket taker to <laughs> open the door. Steel. Yeah, he did look like George <laughs> Animal Steel. He got the ticket taker, who's kind of this meek guy that his only job is to open the yeah. door. And become, he's pretty famous. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Elias Cook. Yeah. He was really great. He, in he 19, did westerns. He was in 1941. I loved him. Okay. Uh, War Nerves. I heard it on that radio over there. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, radio. <laughs> uh, he was really great in that. But it, like so many other situations, when it involves that many people, you know, like, and I guess it was a, a lot of like Ocean's Eleven. If Ocean Eleven's yeah. went bad, uh, I mean, this didn't go great. No, it, it has one cringe-worthy oh. moment in this whole thing <laughs> yeah. as a capitalist, which <laughs> no. broke my why, heart. Why are you crying, Dave? Why are you crying? <laughs> oh, there are t- emotions during that scene. <laughs> oh. But talk about the. Uh, I think what he did great in this, and and I don't know many movies from the from the mid fifties. But uh, the woman that screws him over, mm-hmm. she was a very oh, different he, character than you would see in those types of movies. Yeah, well, that screwed over El- Elias Cook yeah. uh, because it, it, you saw it from a mile away as a moviegoer. You're watching this whole thing, and you're watching kind of a little mini backstory behind all the people involved in it. One of them is taking care of his sick, sick like uh, wife, so you know he's really desperate for the money. You have an ex-Marine who's that creepy guy that kind of talks through his teeth that his only job is to shoot the horse as it comes mm-hmm. around the corner, and it's a great scene with him. Uh, but once you get to see Elias's kind of life with his wife, and you realize, oh, this this woman is horrible. This is like that scheming woman that is just two time that she is listening, and you see it right after they have their scene together. She goes like down the street to her lover, and uh, it was the guy from uh, Deal of the Century, State of the Art. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, super young though in this uh, flick, so you could tell that she was going to screw him over, and she just wanted to know what it was. So she had her her uh, kind of uh, lover ready to kind of infiltrate the group and steal the money out from under him. And it was a lot of money. It was like nineteen two million. It was like $2 million, which yep. is like insane back then. $15 and, million uh, dollars in today's A, a lot of the plan went 
uh, went well. That was what's great about it. This in the last twenty minutes, you got to see what they were planning all kind of play off, and it went well. And they, he also, if broke it wasn't the, for the double cross, they'd have stayed in that house. Yeah, and he would have never got on the plane. Yep, yeah. and he would have been fine. And he would have been fine. It really was the double cross that kind of uh, screwed him over. But there was, uh, it was what was great about it is the way they told the story, almost Quentin style. But it's weird to kind of it was uh, to to I mean say he that would it's have to style since he, it was Stanley first, but he broke that narrative timeline, and we got to see it from different angles. You know, you got to see. Remember when you saw the guy start the fight? Yeah. You saw from his angle and Sterling Hayden go into the uh, the room, but when it came time to Elias to open that room for him, uh, you went back in time to see him mm-hmm. work it and everything, and it was really well done. I'm not sure how popular that was back then. I mean, it's super popular now. I mean, to be able to tell your story that way. Uh, but it was told like super well. I like it. Was it holds up, and then it definitely holds super up. Holds if you're gonna, uh, if you want, someone says you want to watch an old movie, yep. In black and white, this is the one you go to, man. Yeah, this is a really. There's, good there's one. a few others. I could give you a top. The next one actually. Is. Uh, that's another good one, and we maybe we should even do like a top ten like black and white films or something like that. My one that I always go to is the Sweet Smell of Success with Burt Lancaster and yep. Tony Curtis. It's so good. If you want to see, you'd have to rewatch it. If you want to watch like how cutthroat people are in some sort of businesses and everything. It's it's insane Psycho. Uh, how that was. Arsenic and old Yeah, days. those are all really great black and whites. I, there's, there's so Strange many. There's so many for me because I I do own a shitload of uh, black and whites. This next one's another one that I watched early on. You know, you're interested in war movies. Is There's really like a top 20 or 30 list if you go if you went on to Google and put mm-hmm. the top 30. This is on every single one of them. Really, you could watch those top 30 war movies and, and you'd be well off. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have to really dig deep to get a little of the... Uh, uh, the smaller ones, which are obviously good, like Hamburger Hill and stuff like that, who don't doesn't get enough uh, love for what they are. But Paths of Glory is one of those ones I think people avoid it because it's black and white. But it was a great story, and it was a great story about World War One, which wasn't getting as it wasn't. I think t- this year is the year for yeah, World War One. That nineteen seventeen. Yeah, that's going to be a big. It's going to be good. Um, people don't well, realize it makes sense warfare. because think about it, it. All the war, great war movies came out of the children of. World War II veterans, yeah. so yeah. a lot of the stories that people were making was either Vietnam or World War Two. Yeah, and this was '57, so I mean they could have easily done World War Two, but I mean it I mean, probably it was only had just over happened. for 12 years. Yeah, that's the thing too, and people so, like to. They and knowing to, uh, Kubrick, he probably started filming in '55. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> just because it came out in '57, I mean, he was early. I mean, it, I don't mm-hmm. think he maybe he didn't get that as crazy uh, with it until uh, the next. He one. sounds like the kind of guy that he was trying to get to a certain level. That the number seven afforded him, so yeah. he could do that. The rest of his really, life. the only other because I bet he was happy working five mo- years on a movie. Yeah. I mean, really, the only other director you could say that has this quality of a list with so few films on it is Quentin. Quentin's only done eight movies, mm-hmm. and it's crazy. Uh, or that nine, eight, I think. I think eight. I think nine might be set already, but unless no, unless Once Upon a Time was nine, I have to check up. But there's a new Justin, the, the, yeah, Justin. <laughs> well, there's a new trailer I saw at the beginning of that Jay and Silent Bob movie that uh-huh. says a documentary coming out about the first eight. So that's what made me think of it. At least <laughs> it's always weird uh, when a documentary comes and out, and it looks and really, he's still making uh, movies yeah. as we speak. It looks really good. They go behind the scenes, and you get to see it. everyone's talking. Michael Madsen, I bet he gets Samuel the, he, he gets the final uh, cut on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Paz of Glory. So what we're dealing with in Paz of Glory, obviously, is World War One, and like. We said trench warfare, Ugh. not pretty. Mustard gas not and pretty. trench warfare, two of the worst ideas. Oh, God. Let's throw something in the air. Let's throw something in the air that can 
change directions yeah. on you. Or not know when anything's going to fall into that trench at any point. Too. Oh, yeah. You know, people, grenades. Well, I mean, think about it. <laughs> I mean, if it's you're insane. sitting in a trench and all the artillery, if it lands in the trench, you're dead. Yeah. And so it's just a crapshoot. If they're not using mirrors <laughs> to, to show shit off, you know what movie you should check out that dealt with World War One that was quite interesting was that Wonder Woman movie. Uh, really, she went to World War One. That was a lot of World War One stuff hmm. in it. You didn't realize it was like a fucking war movie. Uh, yeah, with that one, it kind of kicked it off to like a, a lot of popular ones doing it. But uh, trench warfare is a bitch. <laughs> That's what we find out. Yeah, in this. you camp so, out there forever. Yep. At least in the Civil War, the day they. A lot of people got killed, but it took three days. Yeah. And then people moved on, and they fought a war somewhere else. So the the main gist of what's going on in Paz of Glory is you have uh, this general who recruits uh, Kurt Douglas to undergo this mission, uh, and the great Kurt Douglas, and the, this was one of the movies that kind of really made his career, and he went on to do Spartacus after that, and then it just took off. Uh, He's still alive, 104. Yeah, that's 104. Crazy. Can you believe that shit? That is insane. He's, he's not acting anymore, though. Yeah. Was, no, he hasn't been acting for like 20 years. Ma- you but know still. what? I think he's dead and he's acting. Yeah, he's, that's he, how good he was. He is damn good at it. <laughs> because he, I think he died two years ago. He he's been acting the whole time. <laughs> uh, so they recruit him, and this is one of those impossible missions. What you see a lot of times in films is, sorry, half your men are going to die, but you need to kind of do this mission anyways. Man, that's crazy. It's a horrible situation to be in, and it, that's the kind every, of situation he's Every, everybody that directs troops in combat yeah. has to make that decision. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of tough stuff in this film in the uh, way of kind of what would you do in this situation? Because a lot of these, it, it dealt, there was an underlining kind of layer of cowardice in this movie, which a lot of people didn't want to leave the trench. And a lot of people, once they were out of trench, they were doing shady shit. There was a great scene that didn't deal with like the main kind of, uh, uh, the main focus of the film was when one guy, they were out at night and they were outside the trench and they were on their bellies and everything. And someone came over the hill and one of his own men, one of the guys shot his own men and everything. And then when they get I mean, back, it happens a lot. Yeah. When he got back though, the other guy uh, confronted him and, uh, because then that guy not only shot his own men, but he ran away and he ran back to the trench. So, so when he came back in there, the guy confronts him. I said, I saw what you did back then. And he's like, I don't know. I don't like your attitude. And I, I don't know what you're talking about. And you get to see him break him down to the point where he's like, it's things are confusing. Things are confusing. What do you want? What do you want from me and everything? And uh, it, it was really tough to see that. Try not to shoot that. your own guys. Yeah. Well, that kind of goes to the, the really fucked up thing about this is the head like commandant, I guess, who was in charge of the whole thing was kind of viewing the whole battle. And he knew that at some point the other people, they had to rush and try to take the other thing. And it wasn't happening. The people weren't leaving the trench. And the guy's like, why are they not leaving the trench? And it's, I don't know, sir. He says, I want you to direct uh, fire on on our own men to kind of initiate them to leave the trench. Aren't you not supposed to follow those orders? (laughs) Sounds like one of the ones you're like, no. Yeah. So that's what happens. And then a lot of them leave and a lot of them don't. And to try to cover up for the shitty stuff that he did, he kind of made this whole thing about three specific soldiers that were too fearful to leave the trench. And then it dealt with the trial at the end. And Kurt Douglas had to like... uh, uh, be the lead lawyer in it and he went all Jimmy Stewart and said this is bullshit and this and that and what's happening to these men he had a few wrong good, he had a few good 
moments where he gave a monologue. Oh yeah, was oh yeah. He he had movie, his like so. Spencer Tracy Adam's yeah. Rib type wrote, moment now that. What is interesting? What reminds me of Paz of Glory every time? Do you remember the Tales from the Crypt episode that he was in with his son, and he was afraid? It was almost the same thing. It, he was afraid to get out of the trench. It was one really? of the Tales from the Crypt episodes that wasn't really dealing with uh, with something supernatural. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dan Aykroyd was the head kind of uh, general also in this. And his son was like, uh, they were going to kill his son, firing squad, because he was a coward and everything. And there was a great scene where he sh- he shot at him. Uh, he had the people shoot at him. And then he fell down into a trench and he kind of saved his own son's life and everything because he was a coward and everything. But it was interesting. It was one of those hmm. weird tales in the crypt that people forget about that was actually was that. some good ones. But it dealt with the uh, World War One and the trench warfare. So it was interesting they came back to that, which was probably not an accident. All right, this next one. Now, this one is one this that... This is a little uh, creepy. This is, this is a little creepy. We're going to get a little creepy here. We're going to have Justin here to cheer us up. Uh, <laughs> this, I just want you to know, Justin, this shit just got dark because of you. Yeah. All right, so number three is 1962's Lolita. Yep, let's bring on the uh, underage girl <laughs> movies. And this was a book that still it was on like the band list. What did you mom, say? mom was not allowed yeah. to read this in high school and... Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Christian school approved no, either. It wasn't Christian school approved, <laughs> I would imagine. And it was uh, it was dark. I mean, if reading it today, it's probably a lot more uh, less salacious, other than the subject matter itself. And uh, so, what was really going on was in the book. <laughs> now it, it plays out in every school across yeah, the country. Yeah, There's another kid getting. Well, I hope not. Uh, so what what happened here is you have uh, Lolita is a 14 year old girl and that to make it even less creepy not that 14 isn't creepy enough it, in the book it was 12 yeah. she was 12 years old they were old. like Warner Brothers is like, like yeah, made this. can't like, we yeah, make it 16 it up. Like, no that's not gonna bump fly. it up so we need 14 year old girl here and this was like a 15 year old playing a 14 year old and she was really great she like you could tell that she was Sue way Lee. above uh, yeah it was Sue something Graf soon yeah. no, I can't remember sorry uh <laughs> What was great about this movie, though, is she was surrounded by incredible actors. James Mason is probably one of my favorite actors of all time. He's right up there. If I think old school actors, him and Robert Shaw, I'll watch everything they're in, and everything they're in is great. Yep. At least they're great in it, for sure. Uh, So you've got James Mason. You have uh, Peter Sellers, who's very strange in this movie. That role was really weird. Well, he played three different roles in in the movie. That's in his contract. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you have him doing that, and that's the reason they had him do it in Dr. Strangelove, I think, because he proved, from what I hear, that uh, he had to have, Stanley had to have two cameras on at all times because he would improvise his dialogue. And Stanley, like... Not a big fan of that. No, Stanley was all right with him doing it. He allowed him to do it. He wanted him to do it. But he realized that all his good stuff was on the first take, so he has to have two cameras to get two different angles on Uh him because he'll never be able to recreate it like that again. (laughs) So he was like the only person they put two cameras on when they were filming the movie. Uh, so it was interesting in that Not part. because he didn't want to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the fabulous Shelley Winters, man. This was one of her early this flicks. and she around was so Poseidon good. Adventure. No, that, days, Poseidon was right? like 10 years later. That was a oh, 70s really? flick. And she was nominated for an Oscar for that, for a supporting actress. She might have won, actually, for supporting actress for that. She was awesome. She was that one that had to like swim like a mm-hmm. fish in that movie. Yes. She was great. Yeah. Uh, and... So what's going on in this movie is James Mason is like this. If you ever have seen James Mason before, uh, North by Northwest, uh, a lot of his uh, <laughs> Yellowbeard, Yellowbeard. Uh, <laughs> some of his uh, more favorite famous films. Yellowbeard, he was the, <laughs> he was, he was the other. He was the 
Royal Navy captain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was perfect for him. I loved him in uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. was one of my favorite James Mason movies. But his voice, I just listened to him like read the dictionary uh, all day long. He's got that great voice. So he he just has that quality to him. It's like this upper class kind of snooty type guy. And what happens is he he meets Shelley Winters and Shelley Winters is kind of a loud mouth. She just rattles on and on and on. It takes a certain type of person, I think, to be around Shelley Winters. But (laughs) right when James Mason meets... Lolita, her daughter, her 14-year-old daughter, she's like sunning outside. And they remade this movie with Jeremy Irons playing that character yeah, too. Yeah, it was more. good. Uh, I don't remember that version. I, always, I remember I that version this one. almost better than this one. Huh. So he's infatuated with Lolita like the split second he sees her. But so much so that he is willing to marry Shelley Winters just to be close to uh, uh, Lolita. Well, at first, I'm getting ahead of it. Before that, he agrees to move in. They're like renting a room or something and said, oh, it's good to have a guy here. And Shelly Winters already has eyes on him to be kind of a suitor because her husband just died and this and that. And the first kind of obstacle that he wasn't happens... Uh, no, he wasn't really wealthy. The, I think the, she, Shelley, Sherry, the Jeremy Irons was, I think he was really wealthy. Oh, maybe. They might have changed that or they changed... Uh, but from what I hear, the director... Or, uh, I think it was this movie where the, uh, the writer of Lolita watched it and even though Stanley changed a whole bunch of shit, he still loved it. Uh, Why so would you remake a Stanley Kubrick movie? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't touch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what director wants that? I wouldn't touch. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so pressure. the the first obstacle that happens with the James Mason character is right when uh, almost when he gets he's there for like a month maybe, and then uh, Shelley Winters says, "Oh, I sent her away to boarding school." Whoa. and he's like, "Ah, oh, fuck," you know, because he's like, "That's <laughs> the only reason he's there." So he ends up putting up mm. with her and everything, and he's like, he's communicating with her, sending her candy and everything, and then. Um, when she comes, she ends up coming back, and at some point, and they're not directly say that it happens in the movie. It, at some point, you could tell that they had a relationship, uh, and she she even talks about it like, uh, "What if mom knew?" and type of stuff like that. She's like insinuating stuff, and he's like, "I don't think that's a good idea." Well, thread through this whole right. movie is the the Peter Sellers character, and he's very strange. At first, you see him at a hotel, and he's watching. James Mason and his young daughter check in and they're dealing with the whole one bed in there type of thing and how it's going to look and everything. And he, he sees James Mason down in the lobby and he pretends to be somebody that's a cop down there for a convention and everything. And he's very strange and he's asking James Mason all these questions. Hmm. And then later on, he comes in disguise as a psych- psychiatrist that is works at the school and uh, James Mason has to let his daughter be in this play and everything. And you don't realize until the end that the Peter Sellers character was basically the James Mason's character, and Lolita had already had a relationship with him. I, I, I like years previously, so who knows how long she, she had got been the doing 12. this? I mean, <laughs> book she, age, and, yeah, or in the book <laughs> age, it could have been like uh, oh. ten. I don't know, but it was crazy that she had this quality that has made two men crazy, and then the it turned out the worst for uh, Shelley Winters, and there was a great scene where. James Mason grabs a gun and he, he goes into the bathroom and he's going to shoot Shelly Winters. He just can't take it anymore. And he, he just wants to kill her and then he'll be left to raise. He had just gotten married. They just got back from their honeymoon. And he was going to kill her and then he was going to raise uh, Lolita and do whatever the hell uh, he wanted. And uh, he went into the bathroom and he decided not to kill her. And then the phone rang and it was like, your wife's just been hit by a car. And she's, he's like, my wife's upstairs. And he shouts upstairs, someone says you were hit by a car. And then you don't realize that she had run outside and she did get hit by a car. 
what what makes it really creepy is he goes to pick up Lolita from boarding school and does not tell her her mom's dead. Like they are having this, eh, they're having this trip and everything. And basis. Yeah, well, they're on their way back. So at some point, you get the impression he's going to tell her, and obviously, it doesn't go well. And it it was a crazy movie about obsession, you know, and about obsession about something you shouldn't be obsessed about. And it was one of his first kind of his foot in the waters of difficult subject matters. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was. It was a full. Even in the trailer, do you remember it, the trailer? They were like, "I can't believe somebody made Lolita. Yeah. Who made this into a movie?" Yeah. And I, I'm, I don't know how it did in 1962, but it certainly showed the quality of um, what Kubrick was doing because he didn't really. You got to see a little bit of it. I mean, if you were really, I don't know if you could make that movie nowadays. To be honest with you, it would be a weird movie to make this day. It would, it would have be to be a weird super movie to, indie. Yeah, it would have to be. And it would I don't be know who would green light that. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I need the money for. <laughs> well, this next movie, and this next movie is 1964, and this was kind of the period where we thought, shit, maybe Stanley Cooper could be a comedy director because this is like a, one of the best satires ever made was Dr. Strangelove or How I, uh, what was it? Or how how I, I Learned the, How I, Dance. How I Learned to Love the Bomb was bomb the second Stop part. Worrying. How I stopped, Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Yeah, there it is. That's a mouthful. We'd get it. Uh, I'm glad he shortened that title. Yeah. No, we're just going to call it <laughs> We watched this a lot when we were kids. Yeah. This was my dad watched this. Love he, this he loved movie. this movie. He loved Peter Sellers. He loved so, Peter Sellers. So Pink Panther. Anything, the Pink Panther, yep. We, we grew up with well, a lot of Peter Sellers. What, and Was it a... What's that murder on the Orient Express? Is that Peter Sellers? No, oh, you mean Murder by Death. Murder by Death. Yeah, Murder by Death was definitely Peter Sellers. Uh, yeah, the young people listening now, uh, you probably don't know Peter Sellers. Probably who would be even close to uh, maybe Robin Williams? Mm, it, not as annoying. Robin Williams could be annoying in some yeah, of his in, characters. Impersonations, though. I would I almost mean, say uh, uh, the, the guy Hader, that did... Bill Hader, maybe? Maybe. Like a, no, a Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, I guess I could see that. And, and even some of Johnny Depp no, stuff. Yeah. Anyone that can fall into a different character as easily is, but you, you forget how uh, seamless Peter Sellers did it to the point where no one was writing dialogue for him on any of his movies. Yeah. All that Pink Panther stuff, it's like just him impro- improvising stuff here and there. And he would come with, he was like... Uh, I saw a great documentary about him. Peter about Sellers? his life, yeah. The, the movie one with Jeffrey Rush, because I didn't like that. I don't think so. I, really I think this was just was a documentary. Yeah, documentary I would be all about. Watch it. it was just crazy how different he was. Oh yeah, he was weird. He was a weird dude, man. You could tell, and he he played two characters, two only two were in this movie, right? Mm, no, Mandrake. Yeah, Mandrake, and then the uh, no, doctor no, and the president. Oh, and the president. Yeah, so yeah. three roles. He said that's what I said, man. He gets three. He, he's got three. <laughs> he's, that's in my contract. Hey, Cooper, so, you want me? I get three. So tell us what the main premise. Of, well, let's tell. Uh, we should also mention the great also black uh, and George. White. Uh, what's his? Uh, the guy he went back to black and George white. George C. Scott was Louisa in black and white. Lolita was black and white. Yeah, so he's still everything black was black and white. and white up until two thousand and one, wow. uh, the movie two thousand and one, not the year. Uh, George C. Scott, amazing yeah. in Doctor Strange, love super young role for him. Also, the Buck, great Sterling Bucky. Hayden. Uh, he played Bucky. Yeah, and then uh, what's his name? Uh, Slim Pickens. Slim, Slim Pickens, Pickens and uh, James Earl Jones, who played the pilot. Yep. super young James Earl Jones. Super young. Man, if you want to see Darth Vader early in his career, but tell us what's the main thing kind of going so, on? Strange Love, basically. There's a there's a device that the Russians had built called the Doomsday Device, <laughs> and what it did is it allowed for so what people what they were worried about in the 60s during the Cuban Missile Crisis and all this Cold War stuff was that 
if someone launched their missiles, you would have to make sure you had enough time to launch yours. So yeah. there, it was mutual destruction. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to die, you want your enemy to die mm-hmm. too. So, But the problem is they, they built this device so that it would track that stuff, and apparently it didn't do a good job. Yeah. So it thought the Americans... We did a very bad thing. Yeah, we thought the Americans were going <laughs> to... So basically the Russians were either going to launch or had launched... Or it was... The machine was convinced it was war and it was gonna launch soon yeah, yeah. and they didn't know yet yeah so basically this this is the movie picks up very war games yeah <laughs> the movie picks up right when they're trying to decide what to do yeah if the, they launch their missiles yeah and they're trying to break in well sterling hayden was supposedly the guy who initiated the whole thing that's right re- that's remember right when he started doing it that's when they they sent he's afraid of his, for his bodily yeah he <laughs> <laughs> was crazy sterling hayden went crazy and then you had peter sellers playing that mandrake character which, yeah. who was like the voice of reason but he was also kind of out of his mind dealing with crazy sterling hayden mm-hmm. uh and then you had all the stuff in the war room which was some of the the best stuff and then you had the stuff on the bomber which dealt with slim pickens and uh, it was James a one-man show on the bomber. It, it, it was really good it, that was totally and just like complete studio uh, type stuff. Yeah. Well, same with the War Room. I'm pretty sure that Ken Adams, who did all the Bond stuff, mm-hmm. did the Doctor Strange love stuff at Pinewood Studios back in the day. <laughs> it was an impressive War Room. Do you remember? There's I, no fighting. In the, there's <laughs> no fighting allowed in the War Room. Yeah. Some of the funniest stuff is with George oh. C. Scott in oh, the yeah. War Room. Man, he's got that like. Colonel Millet, uh, um, what's the the real life uh, LeMay yeah. type quality uh-huh. where he's like I am I am what you think of when you think of a colonel and everything. Yeah, yeah. We don't let the Russians into the yeah. war room. And he's going to see, see the, the big, big board. board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we tell, I think we told the story. It in the was past chewing gum was, the whole movie. Oh yeah, like obsessively. It was that great. stuff with him and his like uh, mistress and then, in the yeah. bedroom. It was and everything his was secretary. Great. His secretary. Uh, but some of the great stuff with. Um, Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, no, I had uh, mentioned it before on a pod that I think it was President Reagan when he got elected. He thought there was, was a war room, room because, of this, because of this movie. He had grown up watching uh, Doctor Strange. I bet, he, I bet that was assumed. the first thing he wanted to see, too. I know. I said, you better build a war room, yeah. man. <laughs> if Ronnie Reagan wants a war room, yeah, Ronnie we'll Reagan a gets a war room. Yeah, man. some of the great stuff with the... Uh, the ambassador for Russia is in yeah. the war room, and he's writing stuff down. And yeah, I mean, the, really funny. The, the greatest character in that movie was Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, so yeah. Doctor Strangelove was telling him he was the guy who had, had invented about the Doomsday Machine. I think he invented it. Oh, he invented it. Yeah, and, which makes uh, sense. He was in a wheelchair. He had either had a stroke, or they were playing it like he had a stroke. And he was a former Nazi scientist that had converted, but but the left side that he had a stroke was still Nazi. So he, he had to keep his hand was choking him at one point when he was yeah. saying like more uh, capitalist ideas. But there was just when he got it, too excited. It, when he got really excited, he wanted to throw the the uh, the Nazi salute. Yeah, and he so his left hand would f- would fly up in a Nazi salute, and his right hand would chase it and hold it back. <laughs> <laughs> really funny to watch him just oh, pull this off. The whole th- when they he finally ex- accepted that the thing was going to happen. Remember yeah. him trying to convince everybody yeah. that we should just let it happen yeah, and, yeah. and we'll be okay, <laughs> and everybody else will be dead, and then there'll be like ten women for every yeah, one yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. But maybe they'll, they'll go for this to, plan. Yeah, and they were almost like, oh yeah, the president. Well, <laughs> he was like considering it. Yeah. Oh, really, really funny, mm. man. And it ended with that great thing with uh, Slim Pickens riding the bomb down, which oh. was on the trailer. Well, this is a great story. The- Tell the story about uh, they had to change some dialogue. Yeah, there was some movie. dialogue change the, in, from Slim Pickens. Yeah, inside the bomber there was. 
was a scene where Slim Pickens is going through kind of a survival gear yeah. type thing. And he, he does this <laughs> in a lot great... of it does this in a lot of movies. He did in 1941. One Jack. Yeah, he does it like that. So he opens this box up and he's like, one box of uh, of rations, one box of this, one, one box, box of, of prolactics, pro- prolactics one... and everything. And then once he says prolactics and he has gone through a bunch of the list, he says, "Man, a lot, originally he was he was saying a lot. Uh, somebody could have a really good time in Dallas." Uh, with this type of kit and apparently when the movie came out this was 64 uh so he had what uh, year did kennedy die was 64 so our uh november november 22nd november 64 i believe damn i wish you could remember the stephen king uh book because that was the that was the date (laughs) 11 23 64 maybe i think so anyways they changed because Kennedy had just been killed in Dallas. Yeah. And they're like, we can't we can't release this with, with that. It just seems weird. So if yeah. you watch the movie, he is overdubbed with the word Vegas. So you could still see true. It. It's still true, but if you look at his lips, it, it definitely says Dallas uh, on his lips. So it, it was a funny-ass movie. Definitely check it out. It's one of those uh, black-and-white films. Is it films. his only comedy on there? Uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on what your sense of humor well, is. Well, I, I have to. Yeah. Lolita <laughs> wasn't a comedy. Uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> um, like, it has were, to there be. There were be- moments in Clockwork Orange that were funny, though. That's true. The, uh, um, it has to be because of Peter Sellers. Yeah. He must have been a huge fan of Peter Sellers. Oh, yeah. I yeah, bet yeah. if you research Kubrick, he loved Pink Panther. Yeah, this this was Pink Panther was after this. Though. Was it? Yeah. What what would he have seen him from? It was pre Lolita, whatever it was. But so pre nineteen sixty two, I don't know what he was doing. Hmm. But because he got him for Lolita, or maybe he just maybe Peter Sellers started doing that kind of crazy multiple characters in Lolita, and then maybe he, maybe he Kubrick just let him, discovered because he him. took him on to the very next film in sixty four. Now in this next one, and this goes uh, to nineteen sixty eight. So this is four years later. He did one of the most famous science fiction movies ever made when we watched it as a kid it was boring but when we end up watching it as oh an adult, my god yeah. As an, yeah you don't want to watch this movie as a kid you're like oh i love dt i'll watch 2001 i don't think i could get through the no. first because this is it's like difficult. in four segments right it, it i kind of look at it as like yeah three or four did you say the name type of, of movie yeah. uh 2001 the space 2001, odyssey space odyssey and uh rated g and this was a movie that you always kind of see and people the music for, from it is obviously i mean no kid uh, like super famous slow movie right but this is like this is this is like terrence malick slow uh <laughs> movie which you don't mind because it's beautiful and as a uh, an adult and as a filmmaker i can go back and 2001 is amazing it's a, a phenomenal movie to watch huge accomplishment if you uh, think of it in terms of some of the other sci-fi movies that came out yeah star wars didn't come out till 77 so this was what nine years before star wars yeah uh and there's no way that thx 1138 wasn't uh ripped somewhat, off somewhat influenced <laughs> i'm by, supposed to apologize by, for legal reasons <laughs> <laughs> no it definitely wasn't sorry it was that was even more uh crazy and mind twisting in 2001 uh but yeah, so the movie started. And it's basically you're you're dealing with the uh, the discovery of the like pre origin of man. <laughs> it goes all way, the way back, <laughs> all the way into the future. Yeah. So it's got this crazy bookend going on. It all involves this kind of monolith, kind of statue that's discovered. Uh, and remember, it's just like overnight. The, we it starts with us watching like uh, prehistoric kind of like monkeys and pre-evolution yeah, uh, yeah. type monkeys dealing with each other and just barking at each other and hunting with each other and like beating each other up and everything. And then one moment when they 
wake up. That thing is is there. That statue is like right where they, and you could tell it was like, obviously it was not there when they fell asleep. So how the hell this thing got here? You kind of realized it was some sort of supernatural element that he was working towards. Well, this was the first movie and this was probably the the most difficult to kind of wrap your head around and figure out because it wasn't completely spoon fed to you like a lot of his other movies or, or any movie at this time. Uh, and so it, because it jumped right from there to like a, 14 years later, I think, to a mission where people had, you once they showed up, you realized that they already had discovered it because mm-hmm. it was already unearthed yeah. and everything. But you got to deal with a lot of the, uh, it jumped straight to like, I, I'm guessing 2001 was that point. Uh, and in 68, this was their concept of what <laughs> 2001 would be. They and, were- they I mean, the totally space, off. The space race space was walks space, space race was always going on, so they yeah. obviously knew what was possible and what was. Well, in '68, we landed, landed on, on the moon, moon in '69. '69, but we had already but we done had already done the whole Mercury program. So this was this and, was right the in the period program. where it was very well in the public consciousness. And too. nine Apollo missions before the moon yeah. landing. So they definitely knew what was going on, but they they had some really great moments when you got to see him exercising on that big wheel yeah. where he's walking. Or this, those crazy kind of sets. You this know? is the first moment in this man's career where you really appreciated the color did well for him. Well, yeah, then this was the first he, color movie he did. And and you were like, wow, this is a beautifully it was, filmed. Because the other movies were filmed Great, framed yeah. up great, but you didn't. They weren't. The depth was. They weren't there, so shik- uh, shockingly striking yeah. for their for their visions. And maybe the black and white had something to do with that. Well, this this one and <clears throat> the next one, a Clockwork Orange, very much had that that white room with white furniture, but yeah. one red couch yeah. or something like My that. My favorite shot in this whole entire movie is just the, there was like a white padded connection tube yeah. from the ship mm-hmm. to the outer portion, and they. And it was blown out white. And super, he was super walking clean. through that, and it was a tracking, floating tracking shot. And the music was the music is what made this. Yeah, if I you mean, have a slow is, movie, is, yeah. you have to have music as a yeah as a, another it's, actor. It's like Fantasia, how Fantasia kind of was carried that whole, even though it was an interesting uh, animated film, it was carried by that classical classical music. I mean, this has this score is famous. Yeah, it's super famous. Yeah, if you if you get the two thousand and one score, I mean, you've heard it several times and might not even know that was connected. To 2001 yeah. uh so we got to kind of get introduced it was that great scene where they were all talking to each other and you realized they were going on this big mission and they had discovered something and you saw them uh some stuff that had not been done before like talking to his family through on the uh, on the video conference from him being on the spaceship and everything and then we get to see them land on the uh wherever uh wherever they found that big kind of rectangular statue. And then that scene ends when they're all taking pictures. Remember, they, mm-hmm. they take like a selfie of each yeah, other, yeah. and then something happens, and uh, they hear that loud noise. Remember, they put their hands to the head, yep. and they fall down. And then you don't know what hell, the hell happened to them. And you're like left in the dark. <laughs> they never go back to that. Yeah. And so we jump forward to another mission, 
This I, is when uh, they This must have been 2001. Maybe this is what most people early. remember, I yeah, think. When yeah. they think of 2001, they think of AI. Yeah, they think of Hal, who's the... Uh, the asshole computer that wouldn't let him in back One in. of the best decisions Stanley made, and it was up in the air for a little while if he was going to actually make a physical robot walking around and how bad that would have looked. I mean, you remember how it looked in like Logan's run in the 70s. So I imagine it would be been like really uh, bad. Battlestar Galactica, it, it, like that. It's very Twink, similar. It Twinkie? Uh, yeah, Twiggy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the, the brilliant choice because you think of what uh, Jaws did with not showing the shark, but they kind of relied on the music. In in 2001, you just heard the voice and you saw the red mm-hmm. kind of pulsing, pulsing eye yeah. or, of Hal. So, and the, voiced beautifully whoever did the voice for it because it was that very monotone. If Justin was here, we'd know the answer to that. Because yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not reaching for my phone. I'm not doing it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so what we got to see was this great kind of uh, situation where, and they even explained it. There was a uh, there was a moment where he's listening to a tutorial about about the HAL system and how he it's impossible they for him they to turn on yeah, humans. They were and this wrong. And that. Yeah, they were wrong. They were really wrong <laughs> because he always had the mission in his uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> the front or lobes of his uh <laughs> it's almost like the directive in robocop yeah it was very similar to the, like that fifth directive that yeah. couldn't be broken down uh and there's a moment where hal kills one of the two yeah. guys and he like releases his tube and he gets shot outside and the main character he has to like fly after him and everything and then he wants hal to open the doors and he's he got that famous it. line he says hal open the bombay doors it's like can't do that dave <laughs> the, the line after that, he's like, this conversation has to end because it's no longer going to produce any yeah, yeah, viable yeah. solution. Yeah. It was just really funny. Uh, I, I don't, I I don't know why I think he's, of that. Uh, where he has to go like into the ship to kind of deactivate Hal, and it's yeah. that completely red scene. So it's blown out. You got blown out whites. You got really dark did they, space, and did you got they, the red. They parried, parodied this. Oh, in Airplane 2. In Airplane 2? Yeah, Airplane 2 for sure. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Really well, too. It was very funny. It was done awesome. Uh, But uh, what was creepy about this, remember he's he's pulling his circuit. What are you doing, Dave? And he's pulling out the circuits, and his voice gets like really slow and creepy, and it sounds almost like evil, like he is killing this guy. And then even after that part, that's like then jumps to the fourth part. Remember, he is actually going further than no one else has gone. And remember, it gets really kind of head trippy when he goes into the room and he sees yeah, himself like, as an old man. Yeah. And so he's met himself. And then they, you see that big famous shot that's of the kind of cool stuff face. about that's. And I don't want to turn into a sci fi pod, but that's the cool stuff about sci fi. Mm-hmm. You can go off on tangents that make very that have a, sense because have a base in reality because you can it's so far in the future you can say yeah well that's what the way they do it then why is there a floating fetus in space i don't it has know. to be <laughs> you know it, there always was one <laughs> and you think of what tony scott went and did with alien because he almost did the uh, antithesis of this by mm-hmm. making it a dirty blue collared yeah kind of, you could tell that with doing miners on doing this movie there must have been one person who just was in charge of sweeping up sets because you oh, know there was, it was no filmed beautifully i mean there I was mean, no trap we saw no trash. Everything was spick and span and clean. And it must have been span. hell. Can stuff be just the, spick? No, it's got to be span too. Okay. You're only halfway there with the spick. Spick and span, man. <laughs> uh, so this next movie. 
This next movie, similar, man. You could tell that he was loving that kind of modern, really bright look. And this was a weird one. This is one of the ones of all his movies here that you really can't recommend to everybody because people are going to take it the wrong way and not realize there's a lot of satire in this movie, especially when you get further into it and you realize the rehabilitation they're trying to do with him. Because at the beginning of the movie, you don't realize where he's going with this movie. Yeah. If you knew early on, oh, we're going to watch this guy do some horrible stuff so we can rehabilitate. Tatum later i that's clockwork I, orange sorry 1971 i think i told you the story before this is when i fell in love with kubrick because i was working over that night shift at the library at yep. the college and uh they had this on um laser disc laser disc on big screen <laughs> they had movies the size of records back in the day it was and you know <laughs> what they probably look better than dvds do now they're just really expensive yeah. to yeah to have but I wrote a paper in college for my film appreciation class. It was film something. It didn't teach anything except acknowledging what directors did. And yeah. mine was the was his relationship to violence comparative to how he filmed it. Yeah, this is a case study in so kind of like the mo- distance that he kept it from it, him? in some scenes. Yeah. Compared like to some other scenes, like in the one in the so at, this movie had a theater, lot of rape, yeah, yeah. That, and that's what's difficult. It had about a lot it. of violence against women, but, but like I said, w- once you realize where he's going with this, where you, he's trying to show you the most yeah. unruly person, they could remake this movie now. They could, it, they could. It would it'd be looked bad about no one wants this movie remade because they like the original is a classic. The original is a classic. The 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 language re- they re- use redoing Kubrick's the, like redoing Hitchcock. Yeah, why do you're it? Not, you're not going to want to do yeah. it. Yeah. The language that they the characters used. Yeah. Was this was a famous in, book was by a, Anthony Burgess okay. too, and in the book you ha- they had a glossary. I'm at the sure end they did because it was difficult to understand the Cockney Goody Woods. Yeah, Goody Woods. In my yeah. Goody Woods, I feel all <laughs> sobbery in my Goody Woods. Well, really, the most brilliant thing about this movie is Malcolm McDowell. He's really, great. he's so good in this movie. Great. I when I think of this movie, I think of him at the end in like the cast with his mouth opening. Yeah, you know, when he's opening his mouth, yep. waiting for food to be yep. shoveled in. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, this is a, basically a two-parter of a movie. Uh, exactly. Which is, he does that later on in one of these movies too. And number nine, he basically does a two-parter of a movie. Uh, and this was uh, two thousand one. I should mention the two movies on here have intermissions in it. Uh, 2001 had an intermission, and really? Mary Linden had an intermission in it. I remember going to like two or three movies in the theater that they had intermissions in. Strange. But I don't, you don't, there's not many I don't now. even know if now I can Now they just remember. give you a long-ass movie. Yeah. yeah and not, if you can't... And, and that putting intermissions... You can probably look up online and see when to go to the bathroom. They'll probably tell you the minutes you can oh, go yeah. to the bathroom. Oh, yeah. I guarantee they have I that. guarantee some I, dude tracks that's that. That's the app. But the, the app, you, the problem with the app is everyone's phones are going to be going off in the theater, and no one wants that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so... So basically, yeah, tell us again about how the, okay. the distancing of violence so, is. So just to set the scene, um, Malcolm McDowell's character is a gang leader in, in uh, Rough and Tumble. It's a very London. weird London scene. Yeah. Like, remember his mom dressed like a disco queen and yeah. had different color hair all the time? Yeah. And they Strange. just did she weird, did weird, the weird milk stuff. Bar? The milk I mean, bar was... This movie was weird. Yeah, it was very This movie strange. was super weird. Yeah. Like, his teacher molested him at one point, and yeah, then they never was, really even you know, addressed it. It was very it. strange. And, the, yeah, the milk bar where he goes to with his... And he dresses strange, and he's got this weird face paint, like Bowie style on his face, but he's got these it's three been, other people It's been parodied a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no way you haven't seen this. scenes from this movie. I know The Simpsons did it. I know oh, Family, Family Guy, Guy did, did it. Oh, Family Guy did it all the time. Simpsons uh, did it. 
So yeah, so we, we're seeing him and his crew Just basically being, being hooligans. assholes and hooligans. I mean, but to the point where you could tell that they're almost to the point of being a nihilist that they did not give a yeah. shit about. I mean, anybody. they were raping people. Yeah, they were hardcore dudes. One of them was super close yeah. up though, like was, unbelievably well, close. So up, and to, that's where we're to my were. paper was was the um, so the first scene is they show up and another rival gang is on an old abandoned theater stage. Mm-hmm. Tossing a girl completely naked. Yeah, he uses like a full frontal a lot in yeah. this movie, and that was yeah. not very. But he, done Kubrick well used in like a Kubrick used like a fifty millimeter lens, and he was a good two hundred yards away from the yeah. stage. The whole wide shot. Yeah, the viewer was the viewer. Too, was. I mean, yeah, and they played this really classical music, and the way the girl was dancing around the stage, it looked more like a theatrical production than it did a yeah. rape scene, and so he used that to sense of Desensitization. Yeah. We'll call it that. Yeah. And uh, Justin, but, you're okay with that? Yeah. Look at cool. <laughs> Later on, they go the complete opposite. Whereas, they, yeah. they use singing it's in the so rain close. and it's yeah. Can creepy. You, can that you good. hear that music without thinking of that? Oh, uh, I can't. No, they, they completely changed what was a beautiful song. Yeah, it was an in innocent this old '30s movie. What was it? Who and, wrote that? Uh, Gene. Like, uh, uh, Gene Kelly. Was Gene Kelly was dancing to it. <laughs> now all I think of is rape. Rape with the with the the guy in the background going. What was he saying? There was in so the many. Rain. There was like, so many difficult oh. scenes in that particular. There was so many difficult moments in that scene. Not only do you deal with a home invasion that anyone who has a wife and a kind of off the beaten oh, path, you yeah. can imagine this happening. This was to a you. hard one. But, and yeah, so not only does he break in, not only are they going to rape this girl, they're going to do it in front of the husband watching it. She's while screaming, beating him up. Why beating him up while, while singing? And these guys are wearing creepy masks, and it is done fully right there on camera. Very almost like something out of Henry, the portrait of a serial killer. It was yeah. really creepy. And uh, and that was the last horrible nope. thing we saw. Him nope. do, right? No, remember we saw he one killed one? a girl with the ceramic dick. Oh, that was a bad That's that how he a, went to. That's right. She fought back, though. She was really yeah. squirrely. That was a weird scene. And that's too. what landed him in jail. Remember, because yeah. his friends. Uh, he was supposed off, to run yeah. out of the house and they threw something in his face. Yeah. Remember? And, and he couldn't see or something yeah. and the cops showed up and got him. That's really when the movie shifts to yeah. something completely mm-hmm. different. And it's from that point on, it, it it's good for the viewer because you're, you've gone through a lot of difficulty through the movie where you're watching literally during it. You're like, should I even continue watching this movie? Because if this whole movie is like this, it's going to be difficult to watch. Full and shift. Then, and then a complete shift where you were just got so much enjoyment out of the movie uh, from that point forward because you kind of realized what was going on and tell us what well, was he got, basically happening. So well, I think the satisfaction came because he finally got what he deserved. He was a horrible yeah. person at yeah. the first thing. Yeah. And, but they so, did make you feel for him they did. by the end well, of the movie. Well, he got screwed over. Yeah. And Which is weird because it's just one weird. of those situations where you don't see yourself ever. If you were to well, go back and watch the rape him, scene. It's weird because remember, one of my favorite scenes is, uh, dial back just a little bit, is uh, when he goes to the record store and he meets yeah. those two disco chicks yeah. and he takes back them back to his flat and has... Yeah, sex like, with both they, of them like, speed the whole but scene they up. filmed it, it it filmed it at three or four times the speed they yeah. showed the entire threesome yeah, yeah. that they had and then just filmed it super so fast, fast and you... they played it to that uh, beethoven mm-hmm. they beethoven was a very beethoven became the stimulus later on for the experiment That's so right. so getting what they were doing is so when he was in prison and i like the prison stuff too because it was oh the yeah warden was really good oh yeah i like the warden 
I, I very much like uh, Full Metal Jacket. You get like a really good gift halfway through the movie where you're like, oh, I'm just enjoying these scenes. And you anticipate the scene where they put him in the theater and they pre- uh, pull oh, his eyes yeah, open. Yeah. So, yeah, basically they're they're going to make him part of this experiment yeah. if he likes they asked it They volunteers. Not. You could get released. Did he volunteer? Ba- yeah. Yeah, okay. So he could didn't... get re-released back into society, which I don't think he was ever going to be. Yeah. Or it was going to be decades. If you went through this conversion therapy to yeah. take all of the abnormal behavioral yeah. thoughts out of your brain. So it was a psychological thing at yeah. that point. And basically it what they were going to do, crazy, they, were, they, they were going to stick him in a theater and they were going to force him to watch super violent stuff, super yep. sexual stuff. And they had somebody that just, they pried his eyes open and one of the yeah. creepiest shots ever is Malcolm McDowell with his eyes pried open and you got the woman next to her is just couldn't have been enjoyable to film because you know stanley's going to make him do it over and over he probably spent one day with his yeah. eyes open but they had the woman next to him which would probably have had to have been somebody on the set anyways mm-hmm. to put eye drops in his eyes to yeah. make sure that his eyes don't get kind of uh Dry. dried out and everything and they're showing the viewer these images too and they're creepy and there's well, like they're giving him drugs too and, because i because eventually when he saw or thought or thought about violence, he would get sick to his stomach. Yeah, which was like, a great scene when they brought him out in front of to everybody. To show all on, the scientists. The, and they brought that naked woman out and his This hand. is when he did it. This movie had a ton of nudity. <laughs> yeah, it definitely had a ton of nudity. For 1971, oh. for sure. Most movies in 1971 that have this much nudity are pornos. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is... Uh, I remember uh, seeing it in the uh, video store and Carl Campbell saying, oh, that movie there. You guys aren't allowed to see that one, but that movie was messed up. And so He was probably right for saying it because it was... I thought it was a horror movie for a while there because the the cover was really creepy and some adult told me I couldn't see it. I automatically assumed it was because it was scary. You know what one people told me I couldn't see and that built it so up so much that eventually I saw it and it wasn't anything... um, I think... NC-17 was just coming out that rating, and Firefox had gotten... Oh, it weird. Yeah, that was strange. And the Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, yeah. And I think since then, it would it was downgraded to an R rating. It'd be PG-13. Apparently, it nowadays, it would be PG-13 yeah, almost. PG. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but this one definitely didn't disappoint when it came to what you uh, where it was built up to be. It was fucked up. I had up. so many favorite scenes in this movie, and, and uh, one of them is when... He gets out and he meets up with the cops again. Yeah. His old his buddies old are now cops. Yep. And they they fuck with him again, man. And he can't retaliate. No. Because that's the funny thing about this is yeah. they, they, they think it was great to take all the natural instincts away from you when it uh, came towards violent and sex. But now once he get out, he could not even defend himself. He was, and he deserved it. Yeah, he deserved, he, it. He, he deserved everything he got. But well, tell, you can tell see. You, so tell the ending. You want to spoil the ending? No, we, we don't have to spoil the complaint because it goes on and on and on. This is one I think Justin things. would like a lot if he hadn't seen it. Already. Yeah, has he seen Clockwork Orange? No. His dad showed it to him when he was eight, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, Clockwork right. Orange is one of those great <laughs> movies if, if you uh, know the right person to recommend it to them and they don't mind a lot of that old kind of weird type stuff. It's it's, it's, it's right very weird. It's 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 up there on the top There's a lot 10, of violence like, to women in that uh, there's another rape scene at the end when they're showing them clips. Yeah, when they're showing them clips. Yeah, and uh, it's like, But it's it's all for the point of satire and what society I mean, would have done I to I think women. Kubrick liked putting out edgy stuff oh too. yeah oh definitely and, and he liked nudity yeah he did he did put he, nudity he, in uh most of his flicks once they I think. once it was in color he's like i don't want to see it yeah in black and white not since uh clockwork orange was his first 
time he ever showed nudity and he went balls out in that movie i mean literally, literally. <laughs> yeah you got to see malcolm mcdowell all flopping around yep. there too but yeah i mean the movie did before clock Ar- orange g <laughs> i mean a clockwork orange had to have been like nc-17 or just a hard hard r in 71 it was probably an r i mean it's it's crazy that it even got that uh, because there's a I lot, bet of, a lot of theaters i bet he i it. bet he pulled back a lot i bet he had to trim oh, a yeah, ton yeah. out of that movie too and it's always interesting when you find out, like when you get a DVD, and then they have like in RoboCop where they had the extra yeah five seconds of and that five seconds you don't think it makes a difference, but when you watch that guy getting shot on the boardroom table, yeah, man. And it really You're lasts. Like, Whoa, now he's just meat. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Uh, but I would love to know the story behind him and the ratings board with a Clockwork Orange because I I see how hard it must have been for them to, for them to put that big rape scene in there and them not have him try to trim that back. I don't know. All right, this next movie, and this was a lot of people considered one of the, the, I think Ebert said it was one of the best movies of all time. This was one of his most acclaimed movie at the time. Another was, slow one. Another really slow one, but really, I just watched it recently, So, and I forgot how much I love it. Every time I watch it, I forget how much I love it and how much faster it moves than you think it than you think it uh, does, you know? Because it was a long movie. It was a three-hour movie. It's the longest to 334. Date. Uh, no, 304, yeah. Oh, 304. Three, uh, three hours and four minutes. And this is the 1975's Barry Lyndon. Yeah. It's been many years since I've seen this, but yeah. I, I have... Yeah, you'll remember once I start talking about it here. But it was also, and I had mentioned earlier, it's one of the first times that he realized that he had some sort of clout that he oh, would allow yeah. him to do as many takes as he can. And a lot of directors are famous for doing many, many takes. Quentin does it. Every, a lot of those really high... Uh, and actors do, or directors do, um, but Kubrick took it to next level. I last one is also the f- first movie where he, he never came and filmed anything back in the U.S. ever again. Uh, yeah, starting with '75. No, start Although with the Shining. Lyndon. Where was the Shining? No, it was it was England. Really? Yeah, about the time that see. Barry Lyndon was a shift. I think his head got a little big, and he was like, he was good like, for All him, right. though, man. No, good. He's like, all right, now I can get money for the uh, stuff I want to do. Now I can take do as many years takes. To do it. I can take as many years as I want. I think Barry Lyndon had like six months just in post production, but there were like takes like a hundred, hundred twenty five takes in that, which movie. is unheard of. And it was also like we had said, it's it's the first time where he was like, I'm not, I'm not leaving in England again. And he didn't. He, from that point on, he was yeah. in England forever. That's great. That's do where he was going to film man. it. I want to leave my house. I want to be able to film it, and I want to return. Uh, and he makes that type of movies that people would bend over backwards to even be in his film. So it, it's weird to think that the when we're talking Barry Lyndon here, he only had, this is 75, from 75 to his last movie in 99, he only did four movies. I mean, he was enjoying. He did, he did two in. I, I, how, he did one movie in the two movies in the 70s, two how movies in the 80s. How old was he when he died? That's a good question. I want to say it had to have been probably 71, 72. You could get Justin to read these question answers know, later on and then here. stick it in there. <laughs> this is where it goes. All right, so Barry Lyndon, and this is where uh, he worked with Ryan O'Neill. And Ryan O'Neill was one of the big actors in 75. I think that studio, that was like one of the only things they told him they had to do for them to agree to uh, sign off on this is they needed a leading guy kind of in it. Ryan O'Neill's like, I'll, I'll do it. So... <laughs> what we're doing here is we're following some guy's entire life from when he was like, not since he was teenager, really young, late teenager, late teenager, all the way until, uh, uh, till kind of towards the end of his life. And it, it's just a guy, and this was like the 1700s. When was like the, uh, the seven years war in uh, Europe? Cause that's when, um, the, uh, that's where he gets kind of thrown in. I, I mean, when, it was when, pre, it was pre-American pre-American Revolution. Revolution. War, so it was like so mid 1700s. 17, 
probably seven. Any, it could be any time before yeah. the seventeen. So, so, and this is, I mean, this is the time period of like uh, you know the bustiers and the, all those kind of elaborate, uh, yeah, kind of all those elaborate outfits which are filled in the movie. I think powdered faces. Half of this movie went towards like extras and uh, costumes. Oh my! Costume God. design in this movie. I'm. I think this won These like three are, or four, uh, three or four Oscars, and I think one of them was costumes because this was next level when it came to costumes. Now, if you're a costume designer, oh, you someone like, comes this to is your you, wet dream. This is this and uh, what's that multi pass? Oh uh, yeah, uh, Fifth Element. Yeah. yeah, that's another one where they can just do crazy shit. <laughs> uh, so the movie starts right off with this guy having kind of a uh, relationship with his cousin, and uh, his cousin wants to. And it's his first love, and this was also one of those movies that the the narration really works well in this movie. It's done by this great guy, uh, one of the guys, the guy who played the doctor in Yellowbeard, and that goes along with him. He did the narration for this movie, and he's really hmm. really good. And he's basically telling the story of Barry Lyndon as happening and he's talking about his first love and his cousin obviously finds somebody that's not his cousin that he falls in <laughs> love with he's always a good choice and uh, so i'll just take you through a couple of the key moments in it so this is kind of the first point where he's c- kind of has to go on the run because he uh, he sh- gets in a, a duel. duel he gets in a duel with this guy and he shoots the guy in the chest in the chest uh, and he falls down and then he has to leave he has they they Come up with this plan that you're gonna go to uh, you're gonna go to Ireland. You're gonna stay in Dublin. Uh, you can be all right there. We'll send you money, and then you can. Were they be screwing the with him though? They were. You found you yeah. found out later that on. Guy you found dead. out like a half hour uh, later in the movie. They're like, oh, that woman she married. And he's like, who did he marry? And he said the guy's name. He said, yeah, he, he this was the guy on his deathbed telling yeah. him this. He's like, yeah, that was all a ruse. We put something else in the gun that wouldn't kill him. And he recovered the next day and he married. We just wanted you out of here, uh, out of town. So, he, And he, he wasn't super pissed about it, but it, it's weird how his life went right when he got in the double and he got robbed by these two guys that took everything from them. Yep. And then he ends up getting kind of... Uh, <laughs> force drafted. Yeah, force drafted into the army. And, uh, and <laughs> once his one friend in the army died, he ends up seeing these two guys like uh, having like uh, a relationship in the river. And he overhears them talking about, I, I, ca- I have to leave you. I have to uh, bring these kind of uh, these plans to the Prussian front to these guys and everything. So I'm going to be gone for about a, uh, uh, two weeks or something. And while he's hearing this, Barry Lyndon, who at this point he's not even known as Barry Lyndon. It's his, I can't even remember what he's, something, Raymond Barry, mm-hmm. uh, Redmond Barry. And then, uh, so he ends up stealing the guy's coat and his work papers and everything. And he steals his horse and he just goes off and pretends he's him. Well, he ends up going to the Prussian. Um, ends up going to the Prussian front. And he meets one of the generals there, and the general kind of sizes him up. And that night, while they're drinking together, he says, "He says, I know who you are. You're not who you say you are, and everything. And you're going to be joining the uh, the the Prussian army now." So the next shot is him in the Prussian Damn uniform. <laughs> and, and a lot of it reminds me of like the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, for where one yeah. thing mm-hmm. you do leads to yeah. your next kind of thing that happens to you. Uh, it gets really interesting to me, and I love the first half more than the second half. The second half really deals with uh, once he kind of gets the uh, the regal kind of stature and everything, and he's kind of uh, milking all his success off this one woman that he uh, that he uh, marries and her son that hates him from the second that he meets him. But the 
the the buildup to that I thought was the best, and specifically when he saves the life of the uh, the Prussian general that kind of finds him out. Yeah, and then he he, he becomes like back. really good friends with him and everything to the point where he's like, "We're gonna put you in. We've got this one guy in uh, part of Prussia that we think is a spy. We want you to go in there. We want you to tell us exactly what he's doing and everything. He's a spy from uh, Dublin, and uh, one of the best moments was round." Uh, uh, Ryan O'Neill gets in front of the guy, and the guy's reading his paper, and they said, they said you're going to be uh, here with me for a while, and I'm glad to hear it. And Ryan O'Neill, uh, at that moment, just calls it out and says, these guys have hired me to come in here. They think you're a spy. He says, but because you're my home uh, land of Dublin, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm with you. I'm not with these guys. And the, this guy hugs him, and he's like, mm-hmm. now we're going to be card, card sharks together. And he starts mm-hmm. like this gambling life with this guy where uh, he, he gets in these great uh, moments where he's he's like hiding behind the, uh, or serving drinks while the other guy's playing cards. And the way he wipes the table means too many, the guy is flush with diamonds. It's like rounders. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got all these signals and everything. And so he's just kind of a sleaze bucket that takes him from one level to another. And his, his, once his mom finds out, his mom kind of goes and lives with him and everything and uh, tells him, you know, you need to marry this one woman, you know, because the, uh, the money is... Uh, the money's not going to be flowing unless you're considered a lord. He says, we're, we're concerned that all your money is going to go to your stepson who hates your guts. Uh, and, and it falls all the way to this amazing, we should talk a little bit about the duel at the end. Yeah. The duel at the end was really he interesting. Must have, they, they must have trained. Several duels in this movie. Really yeah. well done, too. The, the first the, one you the, found out was a ruse. But the, but still, the um, to stand in front of another man and oh settle God. an argument by shooting at each other from 20 paces well, is the most ridiculous and bravest thing I've ever heard, yeah. but most ridiculous thing I've well, ever heard. Well, the last one, that final one, was even crazier because they flipped a coin to see who would shoot first. They didn't even shoot at the same time. It was Ooh. like, you win the you win the coin cost, you, you shoot first, and if you kill him, then the game's over. But if you don't, he gets to shoot at you, and oh. then they keep going back and forth, and they have several guns loaded. But what well, happens he doesn't, is, he, does, doesn't he get shot in the arm, and then he doesn't shoot, or no, that, without spoiling? Uh, no, much? well, I'll spoil this a little bit here. So uh, I'll, I'll spoil a little. Watch, Come on. Spend the three hours, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll save you the time of watching three hours. Just because, just tell you wow, just because scenes. you know the ending doesn't mean you can't enjoy the movie. <laughs> yeah, oh for sure. Uh, so he ends up doing it. His his stepson, who hates his guts, like I said, he hates his guts oh, yeah. since he was like eight years old. So he's grown up and he's watched Barry Lyndon cheat on his mom, and uh, his he was full scope. His, his half brother dies because he gets thrown from a horse and everything. So he comes in front of me. He says, "I'm gonna we're gonna have a duel." But the problem is, is his son's kind of a whip. He's like nervous as hell. He's puking yeah. all over the place. So they give him each a gun, and his son wins the uh, coin toss. He says, you go first. So they go the 10 paces away. Ryan O'Neill's just sitting there waiting for it to happen. And while the other guy is getting ready for a shot, it goes off in his hand. And yeah. he's like, what's wrong with this gun? I need another gun. And he's like, no, that, that, that that's counts. Your shot. That's your yeah. shot, dude. <laughs> you get one shot. So Ryan O'Neill, it's your shot now. And Ryan O'Neill kind of does something very unlike Barry Lyndon. He just points the gun to the ground yeah. and shoots. Yeah. And then the, the judges are like, Will you take this as satisfaction? Mm-hmm. Are, do you feel satisfied with this? And the son's like, nope, I don't. <laughs> so you know he's going to shoot again. So they give the uh, Ryan O'Neill shocked. He thinks he's going to take yeah. it out. He gives him he, the out. That's what you, you get for uh, being a nice guy, man. Yep. Should have shot the. And kid. so his son, uh, he gets the new loaded gun. He shoots it at Ryan O'Neill on two. He shoots, and it goes right into Ryan O'Neill's leg. And it goes to this oh. next great scene where the doctor's telling him 
we gotta remove your leg, dude. Those mini balls, man. Yeah, Those mini balls leg. would just chew up all the bone yeah. and all yeah, the muscle. Yeah, that's what they tell them. They said it's, it's, there's just nothing there. Says it's shattered. He says it's yeah. broken the artery, and it says in the artery, I can't repair that artery before you just hemorrhage to death. So it's gonna save your life. You want you want to save your life? We're gonna have to amputate your oh, leg. Back the only in the seventeen hundreds, yeah. that's not a good prospect, the man. Only thing that could have made this movie better was seeing it actually no. amputated, which they didn't do. Oh, which no. if you look at his his falling movies or even in Clockwork, you would think he he would do it, but he wanted to keep it to a certain type of audience. There's, Martin Scorsese says this is his favorite Kubrick movie of all time. Really? Is Barry Lyndon. A lot of people love it. I, I mean, I, uh, very critical uh, success, probably more than most of his movies was Barry do Lyndon. Do I have two minutes to, to take the floor and talk a little bit more about this movie? Because I recently saw something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, I recently saw something that um, talked about the lighting. All right, well, go ahead. And this tells you how much of a genius Kubrick is. Kubrick is used to being able to create his own light. Yeah, he loves to create his own light, and spends, it's the photographer in them, spends you know? countless amounts of time doing his own light. When it came to Barry Lydon, they were filming in in um, England and in North Ireland, mm-hmm. and it's sunny one minute and then oh, yeah. pitch black thirty seconds after that. Yeah. He would run the camera himself. He would manually adjust the aperture to open up the iris so yeah. that it lets in more light, exposing the film. And he's doing it on film. Yeah. But he went through, he loves natural light, but it was changing so much. Mm-hmm. And this documentary I saw went through the whole, all different scenes in the movie and was like, is like, see how it went here and here. And he made it work for him. He, yeah. and it's it was, crazy. For someone who really wants to shoot in England, he couldn't have picked a worse place weather-wise yeah, or lighting-wise to be able to I do mean, it. If it, it would be great lighting if it, you knew what it was going to do next. Yeah. But with the way the English Channel works and the way the the Gulf Stream works, it, the clouds blow in whenever yeah. they want. And I mean, really, I think he was happy. He probably must have been thrilled with his next movie or even the last movie because they a lot of them were on sets, and then he didn't have to worry about. Yeah. He could control the light all he wanted on I, it. Uh, the Full Metal Jacket and Barry Lyndon. So much of it was filmed outside. That's where he really. But had at to least deal with Full Metal problem. Jacket, you're filming in places that know they're going to have 17 days of sunlight in a row. Yeah, with no true. clouds. Mm-hmm. I mean, or just work with the clouds, I suppose. But very little clouds, yeah. but not with in, filming in England. Well, 1980. This is uh, this was one of the best horror movies ever made. You you talk to anyone, they're always going to say the Shining and the Exorcist. Yeah. There's there's no one who's not going to say the Shining and the Exorcist are the top two one of Stephen scary King's movies ever. Favorite Stephen King and, movies. Yep, he hated the uh, he hated Shame Stanley Kubrick's. I think he probably has warmed up to it a little bit more I think he's uh, lately because this was one of the occasions, and there's not many instances that you could say this about that the book and the movie were both completely different, but both amazing. In their own right. Were they completely different or were they just left a lot of stuff out? No, they they were pretty different. I mean, he was at the hotel uh, with his family and he did go uh, nuts, but... I mean, other than that, I mean, everything was... Scatman Crothers didn't die. No, he didn't in die. In the book. Yeah, he didn't die in the it book. It was more about the kid. It was all about the kid, really. Which I... If if that was their favorite stuff, yep. then you probably would want to see the movie that Stephen King would want to see, to be honest with you. Yeah, me. absolutely. I mean... If I, you were I ever going to redo a movie, redo this movie and make yeah. the original version. And at this point, 
Stephen King, when he was angry about it, didn't realize how much of a genius Stanley Kubrick was, too. Yeah. And that he just, He's just, had to just having him take your source material and, and turning it into his own is kind of a uh, uh, yeah. a gift in itself well, to be able to, or at least a huge high five <laughs> to Stephen I, well, King. Well, I think we probably got to Stephen King is the, the 10,000th fan came up to him and yeah. told him how much shining was meant to them and i had heard there was a great documentary that stephen king did and he actually talked about it and he says that the two differences between his book and stanley's film is stanley's film was very cold a very cold movie and very distant where his book was very warm and more intimate because it dealt with a lot of the kid stuff and it dealt with the uh the hotel getting caught on fire at the end so the yeah. whole ending of the movie was it was like tons of fire and this and that where uh, stanley's was completely iced out and it, it was phenomenal Literally. i mean this is one of those movies that you can you don't really have to kind of talk about the ins and outs on it we can talk about some of our favorite the hotel was great uh, i i would even they might have torn it down by now but if I was ever within 100 or 200 miles of this hotel, oh, yeah. I would have to go. You would have to. And you, you were, I don't the know overlook. if it's... It, I remember looking it up. It was based on... It was a real, obviously a real hotel. But the, but the interior of, shots were done in this specific some of same them were. hotel? Some yeah. of the big grand ballroom yeah. shots. You would think they would keep it exactly the same after a while when they realized what they had. But who knows if they even knew what they had until 10 years later. I used to think... It's funny because when I saw this... What year did this come 80. out? 80. I probably saw it. Not too far after I it saw, came out. I, well, I, for me personally, I saw the clips on Terror in the Isles before I saw the movie. Okay. Because I remember trying to get Dad to make me let me watch the movie. I said, I've there seen the all the scary only one scene flicks. that he didn't want you to see. Yeah, it was the naked woman. It was woman the naked the, woman scene in the room 238. Yeah. And is everything two, else I had, 237. Uh, 237. Two, right? two, uh, that was next door. <laughs> you were next door. You would have been all right, man. That would have been fun. <laughs> That's how you survive, folks. What are, what are people so upset about? Yeah. This place is nice. Sure. I mean, it's no room service, but other than that, it's cool. <laughs> I love what they did in... Uh, oh, Ready Player One? Ready Player One oh. did an amazing homage to The Shining. If, you, if you're if you a fan of The Shining and you haven't seen Ready Player One now, you got to check it out because they do. It'll just make you smile. The whole <laughs> oh, my thing, God. Man. It was really great. But... I mean, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It, Top ten. Jack Nicholson. I mean, phenomenal. Shelley Duvall. Phenomenal. Uh, everybody in it, phenomenal. There's a really great documentary, and it's one of those. I, I love the documentary. Even Lloyd, only, the bartender, was uh, great. Yeah, he was great. Or uh, the guy who uh, talked about having to take oh, care yeah, of his. Yeah, yeah. He was in uh, Barry Lyndon. Yep. Uh, a year earlier, too, the guy who played Grady. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, who murdered his uh, own family. And, uh, oh man, it was such a just great ghost story or just, like, somebody losing their mind. It was the first time you actually saw someone kind of lose their mind on camera and just take it out on his uh, family. And he was told in such a great way that you didn't realize how far he had gone until you realized when she's going through the pages he had written. I was, uh, so I, <laughs> I was writing a paper, and this is for my bachelor's degree. And I think, uh, I think that uh, Maria and I were in the apartment. And I was studying in one room, and she came in like seven or eight times in a row to mm-hmm. ask me like questions that probably could have. Mm-hmm. And then I jokingly <laughs> went into this Jack Nicholson speech <laughs> on the ninth time she came in. Funny. I was like, "Whatever you hear me doing in here, <laughs> you hear you're breaking typing, my concentration. You're breaking my concentration." <laughs> uh, the documentary. She found it funny. The documentary had some really great stuff in it uh, that you realized that. A lot of, the snow was real, so it was like a hellish kind of shoot in oh, general. Man. But there's a great scene where you get to actually see Stanley lose it. 
uh, and he's on the crane waiting outside. for outside, waiting for Shelly Duvall to yeah, squeeze yeah. through the door mm-hmm. and start the scene. I guess he had yelled action twice, and she didn't hear him. And he didn't. She didn't hear him. So you got to see him flip out, and, she, and Shelly's like, "I didn't hear you, Stanley." And uh, you got to see him kind of lose his. Uh, I his, bet he doesn't uh, lose it. Very his demeanor. Often, no, he's a. You know, he's this very kind of. Uh, keeps to himself kind of chess player that apparently that's what he does on the set he said he, he plays chess and that was the that was the immediately way that to kind of win stanley's heart if you could actually play chess with him if and, you're good at chess i already have a preconceived notion of your intelligence yeah and, and that you can fall into a bunch of situations where if you find somebody else can play chess you guys I can feel play like together i feel i can play in a I, game of checkers no <laughs> here's my thing i have a feeling i would be a great chess yeah champion but the fear of not realizing that keeps me never playing chess. What? That's some transcendental <laughs> he's, stuff. He's blowing my mind right here, people. <laughs> it's like, ah, I know I'll be good at it, so why? The knowing is good enough. I've known some really good chess players, too. I'm just a huge obsessed. fan of strategy yeah, stuff. I, I should love it. it. I should. It makes sense that I should be playing. Yeah, I should be playing. I, I enjoyed card games a lot more than uh, mm. than chess. I would love playing spades. Hard spades. Oh. I'd play spades all day long. The problem good with that is game. You, you need four people and you're relying on how good your partner is. So that was the only yep. problem with that game other than like... Man, people uh, cheat. Uh, they cheat. I used to do it. <laughs> I got a heart for this game. You can't say that. There you go. Like, you'd like, <laughs> you're you'd scratching, s- your scratch, scratching your chest yeah, for a double heart. blink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. We used to do that shit all the time. That was Barry Lyndon style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Shining, I mean, nothing bad to say here. I loved it. I love the book too, but I love the, the movie is better. It really is. In my opinion, the book is better. Oh, I mean, the movie is better. The movie's um, great. Some yeah. of the long, some of my favorite stuff was the, just a kid driving around on his yeah. big wheel. Oh yeah. Even the even the tour they took at the beginning when he's showing him the kitchen yep. stuff. There really isn't a single scene that's not as good as the other ones, and it, and it gives you a great idea of that. Very similar to what you saw in 2001 that you were looking forward to seeing the different rooms and what was in them. And you got the gold room and you got that huge yeah. room that he did the writing in. And uh, how, Talk about the kid a little bit. I think I the mean, kid was the, great. The storyline with the kid was great. It was really great. And that's what we said earlier. It was in the book if you really want to see that type of thing come be flushed out. And what's interesting, we're talking about this now, is we're like, four weeks away from Dr. Sleep coming out, which looks amazing with Ewan McGregor playing young Danny Torrance grown up oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. dealing with The Shining. And I think we're going to see The Shining a lot more in that, the actual power huh. that he has. Yeah. Uh, have I shown you the trailer for it? You trailer have not. awesome, man. The trailer looks awesome. And, uh, How did you not show me that one? I don't know. It's really good. And uh, so... With The Shining, he has the ability to communicate with somebody else who has the same ability without even opening their mouth. They can telepathically he uh, talk. He, he, that's kind of how he deals with it, yeah, uh, is this little person in his mouth that he talks to and everything. Tony. But it, Tony, but it could, Tony could be anybody or anywhere. You know, you Tony don't really realize I it. Tony said, do that. Yeah. <laughs> it, but, but at some point, kid was he's communicating. kid was great. Uh, what was, one of my favorite scenes is when um, the tour of the hotel... Uh, allows Danny to be able to oh, stay yeah. with Scat Man. Yep. And that really, and that was one of the more famous scenes that apparently took like 67 or 68 really? takes, the one where Scat Man is talking to Danny. And uh, I mean, Scat Man's an old guy, but I mean, you realize. <laughs> you can't walk down that hall anymore, Stanley. Don't make do me do it. it. No, luckily it was a sitting scene at least. <laughs> oh, so okay. He, he, it was yeah, him don't, talking on, to Danny don't. and he's talking about, uh, and it was amazing that he, Danny out of nowhere asks some, uh, 
You're scared of Room 237, yeah. aren't you? Uh, that, give it, me chills uh, because you know he's lying yeah. when he says and it, it gives, back to him. It gives you Scat have no man, business to go in yeah, there. Yeah, it gives Scat Man. You could tell mm. on screen that he is upset. How would he know about Room 237? He says, you got no reason to go in there, so you stay out. And he should have. Yeah. I mean, he should have stayed yeah. out. You know what the f- weird thing about this movie is? I always feel bad that Scat Man Crothers traveled so far to oh, get back, and yeah. then he got killed 10 seconds, 10 seconds after he got that back. place, man. I can't even... Oh. I mean, he didn't even take his. I guess off. it allowed Danny to run from one thing. I know, but they showed that. him getting the call in Florida, yeah. him getting on the plane, <laughs> him getting in the car and driving up the mountain. And it was not an easy drive, no, man. It the was road, roads were closed. They had yeah. to use those snow cats. Yeah. Those were pretty cool. The guy had to get him that one on the phone. Yeah, that was that was. It wasn't it. Uh, Boca Raton. Wasn't it Rocky's like? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Rocky's side man that was in all those movies, his corner guy. I think he was the guy that got the phone call from Scatman that said, I'd ha- I'll have a, uh, uh, a vehicle waiting yep. for you. I think it was him. I'll have to look back up. That was 80, so it makes sense. I mean, he was in Rocky early in that. All right, and this is the point where, I mean, if you look at these years between Clockwork Orange was 71, and then he didn't do Barry Lyndon until 75, then he took a five-year gap between... Barry Lyndon and The Shining, so he did The Shining in 80. Now this next one, he's only got two movies left here, and he took a seven-year gap yeah. between this one and the next one. But that's cool, but, man. But uh, keep, keep in mind how long it takes him to that's, do That's That's what movie. I was going to say. I mean, really, Full Metal Jacket was probably done in 86. It took him a year to edit. It probably took him a year and a half to, uh, to film. Uh, Which is insane. Insane. Well, it, it, we, took, it took all three Lord of the Rings a year and a half to do. Our biggest <laughs> movie was 17 days. Yeah. And so it really, I mean, these actors are getting paid. They're they're oh, yeah. working with one of the best directors in the At world. At this point, he just, there's certain people that were like, I'm not tying myself to that nonsense. But the problem was, is there were people back then that probably complained that would not complain today if they realized not only how little time Stanley had on the earth, but how much of a genius he was going to be and that these movies would go down because when you're doing full metal jacket you don't know that's going to be one of the best war movies ever made yeah i mean all you realize is we've been sitting here for six months trying to get like uh a specific shot that stanley wants that stanley cannot illustrate to us what to do and there was a great scene i know in this movie later on where adam driver's talking about uh Animal Adam Driver, uh, not Adam Driver. Adam Driver wasn't born <laughs> he was yet. In this, he wishes he was in this. Adam uh, Baldwin, who played Animal Mother in this movie, where he's not a Baldwin brother. He's not. No, he's the guy from My Bodyguard and Firefly. I do, I do. He's really he's really great. I love Adam Baldwin, uh, Baldwin, but he's probably been mistaken for a Baldwin brother for his he entire career. Well. He's great. I loved him. I, I love him more than the Baldwins, really. I mean, I lo- that movie, uh, My Bodyguard, kind of was one oh, of my favorite Sorry, uh, the driving movies. theater. Yep, one of my favorite movies as a kid, man. I loved it. He was so great in that. And there's uh, a famous scene, though, in this movie where he does a scene and Stanley keeps saying, do it again and doing it again. And he's like, I wish I uh, knew what this guy wanted. And he's, and then you could see Stanley saying it under his breath, not realizing Stanley had heard it. Stanley just cranes his head around. He says, I want you to do it better. <laughs> they kind of shot talk him back about, down, yeah, man. Yeah, talk about your shoe getting humiliated in front of a crew. So let's talk the two parts of uh, Full Metal Jacket because you're either a fan of one or a fan of another. I started out being a fan of the first part, and then the older I got, I kind of really appreciated the second part more, and I think you maybe were the similar. 
in yeah. that way because it's hard not to be initially kind of shocked and amazed by that first half of the movie. Well, the 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 you grow up with the concept of what boot camp would be yeah. like. And this changes everything. There's no way you don't think of this movie when you think boot camp. Yeah. The uh, only other and cuz this one was as dark as I would have imagined it to be. Yeah. Now it's I probably not as dark. How many people probably got talked out of joining because of this? Oh. I wouldn't think that, oh, I want to go through that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because if you didn't see this, uh, and uh, some people want that level of discipline. Grandpa Heggie was a see. drill instructor. Yeah, our our grandfather was a drill he, instructor. I'm glad I, I we knew him when he not, was older. I, I don't think I, he I think was, was an Lee, act. He he wasn't Lee Embry uh, kind of no, crazy. Who was? I can't think of a drill instructor anymore without thinking no. of this guy. He was the best drill instructor that's ever been on film, and it, it's an intensity that we start the movie like right when these guys are getting their heads shaved, and we get to know a good five or six of them, specifically the two we got to know the most. I would even say three if you want to include uh, Private Cowboy in there. We got Joker, yeah. Cowboy, and then Private, Private Pile. Pile were the main ones uh, in there. Snowball we saw later on a little bit. Um, and uh, But later on, not until the Vietnam stuff, did we get to see Animal Mother in the Screwball. Yeah, yeah. Or Eight Ball. Is it Eight Ball or Screwball? The black guy. Eight Ball, I think. Was it Eight Ball? Yeah. yeah. Uh, who, who were both great, but it sucked that we didn't get to see them in boot camp. But that, what's his name wasn't an actor. Who's this? Alan Embry. Uh, no, he was just a drill instructor that came on and it kind of cleverly worked his way onto the set so he, much so that... He was a technical it, advisor. It, he was, was, he was he? a technical advisor, but he did such a great job of whipping these kids in the shape and that he kind of earned himself the role where Stanley fired the guy that was going to be the original uh, drill instructor who turned out to be the guy that was in the helicopter that said, how could you kill uh, women and children? He says, you just don't lead them so much. That guy was the original drillist. Really? Yeah. At least he gave him. Yeah, at least he moved him down the trough. And that's one of the... One of the more memorable lines of that It movie. is. It's, it's depressing and sad, but, but it's... The way he delivers it, yeah, where he just delivers laughs it. and just goes back there to shooting, is that guy. shooting women and children. And yep. you, you can't do that movie without showing that soldier, you know, because that is part of this whole thing. This this did not glorify war. war. It did not glorify it's, spook camp. Well, think about it. I mean, the Korean War kind of gets lost in what happened. It really does. You don't hear many people You don't hear many what's, things. What's a, what's a Korean War movie that you can name? <laughs> exactly I can't name one dude and I, I've probably seen one and didn't even think about it but there is no I don't can't think of a, a movie that takes place we weren't in the war. whereas whereas the Vietnam was polarized because we were sending poor kids off yeah against their will for a, to die for, for a war for a, for war a that, civil war that two countries that are gonna we, fight anyways anyways for a concept that wasn't gonna stand yeah. Anyways, hindsight is twenty twenty. Oh, what a waste <laughs> of time and resources. I like to think a lot of the civil rights movement stuff was driven. Yeah, that's the by, only good thing that could come yeah, out of this. Really, the is. only good thing could come out of this, and even that still not great. But the idea of throwing the moviegoer like feet first into yeah. the uh, the drill instructor stuff, and in literally like what forty minutes? The first forty minutes was the drill instructor, and then the last. Uh, hour was probably in Vietnam. So for that first forty minutes, and it started out strong. The language, Matthew Modine, I think, and I think Dad wanted us to see this movie, but I, he, I told the you the language. story. We had uh, rented. It was on um, pay per view, early pay per view when it first came out. So eighty seven, obviously, and we had rented. Uh, uh, what's the uh, one with Dennis Quaid and Cher? Uh, Moonstruck? No, no, no. The uh, the lawyer one. It was. Oh, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it me we got right this now. instead, right? This, yeah, they, they this came through instead. Nice. And my dad was going to watch it anyways, but I had to leave the room now. 
I was like, I can't. Oh. I have to go and do something else. You were getting ready to watch a movie, and I then you had to leave. Ready, man. Oh my god! <laughs> and to you, as a kid, yeah. that must have been a crushing blow. And he knew early on, like he let me stay in the room for a while. But once, nope. once Liamry started walking yeah. down those aisles, I didn't know and, they stack shit that high. Yeah, he was like, nope. you got to go. You got to go. Uh, and this was like the first D'Onofrio movie. D'Onofrio was friends with Matthew Modine, and Matthew Modine recommended D'Onofrio. And D'Onofrio had to actually gain 60 pounds uh, for when this I, uh, role. I've gotten confused from this guy twice. Yeah. When well, I was later heavy. in his life, when, he, was heavy. He, when he was on the uh, Law & Order, he did look a lot like you. Now he's completely bald and got rid of the facial hair, and he does the kingpin thing now. Uh, he looks uh, a little less like you, especially he's, since he lost all the weight. But He's a... Uh, he's a Unbelievable actor, oh, he's phenomenal. one of my, one and, of my favorite. And it showed actors. early on. He, he does weird roles. If you watch him in like The Cell, and uh, uh, even lesser known movies like The Cell uh, was great. Oh, I just recently saw that again. When he had Salt no nose, was great. And he was shooting the pigeons. <laughs> yeah. to... To like the, to recreate the, like the, the, the K- JFK assassination. It's crazy. He had no nose, and it yeah, was very it was, weird. It's Norton meth too much. Yeah. <laughs> D'Onofrio's done some interesting stuff over he his career, but to be able to start it with Full Metal Jacket as he's younger, I mean, when you look at his eyes when they go into oh, that bathroom scene, that there's like stare there's nothing. is one of the best cinematic moments. You see that stare in any, now, or that look in anyone's eyes, you run. To his defense, I think if... if uh, if uh, the drill instructor had dialed it back a little bit, he probably wouldn't yeah. have shot him. <laughs> Matthew Modine is him. probably the only person that could have stood in that room and, and not been killed. Yeah, too, because he was the only nice person to him. But you got to think deep back in his mind, because I mean, if you haven't seen Full Metal Jacket, we're, we're seeing a the uh, the loss of as a kid. the loss of sanity from a guy that could have been anybody that just didn't want to be in. Uh, I mean, he was drafted. He wasn't cut out for the uh, the Marine Corps. It turns out he was. He was a great shot, and he would have went down yeah. as something, but his mental state had gone Looks like we finally fractured. found something you're good at. Yeah. I mean, he, he would have went on and, <laughs> and maybe was, saved tons of lives yeah, in the war, but he, his, nope. he fractured mentally to the point where he just lost it and uh, killed himself and the drill instructor in that uh, bathroom scene. The, when he finds the donut? Yeah. In the, you owe in the us for one jelly donut. You eat. They're doing the work. They're paying for it. You, you eat. eat it. <laughs> Man, you just can't uh, think and stop thinking. You, you don't it, think it could get any better than that. Once, not only better, now it's act two of a different movie completely. completely. Except they kept two characters from the original. Yeah, really, they did. They kept it. Cowboy and they kept Matthew Modine, and you get to see them Do you remember go how that... that that break that cut yeah with the nancy with the, sinatra song yeah, with the, the, the boots the, are made for walking right on the asses of the, of the, the asian uh, prostitutes the asian prostitutes. prostitutes one of my favorite uh, <laughs> doom, kind doom, of lines doom, doom, doom. they say half yeah. these asian prostitutes they're vc officers so make sure you only fuck yeah, the, the other half cough. no the other half have tv, have TV. <laughs> it's only fuck the ones that cough five dollars is all my mom lets me spend on such a funny stuff but and it was a little bit carefree because I mean, there were scenes where it, it, it took it next level, obviously, but it was certainly less than how they ended the first half. Where you were like a little bit relieved when they're in the, uh, they're in the. You realized that uh, Matthew Modine was a writer, and they had him in the writers' the room staff and meetings stuff. The staff great. meetings, the so, staff meetings are great. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but then when he had to actually go out with Animal Mother, some of the best. They stuff, were begging to go out. I guess if you, know, you had that job, like that is always. I always thought that that was a would be a crazy thing to be a war oh, yeah. journalist. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because I... Salvador. That's that's what yeah, Salvador, Salvador the movie was, was great. about, uh, about um, that. 
Ah, oh, what the other? What uh, Killing Fields. Killing Fields was another one that dealt with a lot of that. Uh, the the journalists and yep. what they're going around. I we watch the ABC News now, and they have a foreign correspondent that we see everywhere. I can't remember his name, but he was in the Hong Kong riots. There's no shortage now of crazy people. That, yeah, there's no cr- shortage of people that want to. I mean, those stories need to be told, and we need yeah. brave people that won't take yep. a gun unless you're Juan He carries a gun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, and it. Full Metal Jacket, man, it it ends in kind of a heartbreaking kind of way when you realize that they're being pinned down. That whole scene of them being pinned down in way, by this way un- city, it, yeah, in Way City by this unknown sniper that they cannot see, and they have to like sacrifice so many people to actually get into the building. And uh, we won't spoil it completely, but we do find out that that uh, that sniper turns out to be like a thirteen year old girl. Who's just like been terrorizing them from uh, from a higher position for that whole scenes, man? And, and Joker's it's tough. Uh, Joker's the one that gets her. Yeah, yep. Yeah. His uh, photographer is the his one photographer. that takes her out. She's <laughs> his, like a child. His uh, his exuberance. Woo! I saved. I saved Joker. I saved Joker's ass. Yeah. And it, it was crazy. It was a really intense. You seen any you seen, combat? <laughs> you seen any combat? I've seen a little on TV. <laughs> Maybe you could eat the uh, the peanuts out of my shit. Oh, oh man, I love I just, stuff with animal brother. The, the when it's a very poignant moment, and it's a very famous scene of coming across those mass graves. Yeah. They started with well, a guy talks those. about him as about his button. Yeah, what's that? You got a peace sign on your helmet, and you and you wear uh, born, born to kill. Born to kill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's the dichotomy of life, sir. Yeah, the duality, the duality, the duality of, of life, man. Yeah. the yin young thing. And then he <laughs> you want to get on the team, get it for the for the last push for the big score. <laughs> like he was giving yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that football reference. But take the, that, lose that button. But that shot of just the bodies with all the lie on yeah. them is just powerful because. Those were the scenes that were coming back from Vietnam. They yeah, were uncom- that, that's what was moving the movement back here to end the war because they were seeing so many. Well, they were seeing the numbers first of all that all these people are losing. And we were doing some horrible stuff. Yeah, and, and we didn't. There. We were over our head. We didn't. We were in the wrong place. We thought we could go on someone else's land yeah. and know what was going but on. But what are we fighting? You One send- of the best movies that really illustrates the horror of uh, Vietnam for for several different reasons was Casualties of War. Not only for the horrible stuff that the main yeah. premise goes on but the foxholes remember the stuff with oh, the foxholes yeah, yeah you don't see that in many you of saw the a other little bit of it movies. in um in uh oliver stone's platoon with, with uh willem dafoe was remember he was That's the tunnel right. rat yep but really you got to see it really Ooh, well you can with, make a great uh, movie with michael rats. j fox when he got when he fell he through fell and through, that guy yeah. was right under him and very dramatic him up. very dramatic it was very uh, well i was in that one too yep i remember our uh grandfather was a drill instructor saw full metal jacket he said he liked uh platoon more and the only reason he thought platoon was a little bit better than full metal jacket is the language he said he had a problem with the language in full metal jacket and he's an old school guy and i get it they probably weren't saying the swears when he yeah, was yeah and i don't think he and he, he even said that they pushed him a little more than they would have been pushed in that movie and i can't see him being that guy but obviously he was the the key is to push him far enough but not enough that he kills yeah him. well that was that was the problem and, and you're on yeah. a scale of drill instructors lee was like a 10 and it but and it showed it, what uh, I mean, he probably saved by the time half the, those yeah, people. By the lives. time they were sending people to Vietnam, they knew what they were sending him into. Yeah, and they were like, "He had to prepare These you. guys had to be born killers that yeah. could move on an instant and yep. kill it without conscience." Let me see your war face. Yeah, let me see. <laughs> Rah, work, work on it. <laughs> yeah, work on it. Oh, God. He had some funny lines. He, he had there, some really kind of 
somber moments that you really kind what of. Was uh, the, what was the song? I guess the core don't get one today. Yeah. What was the song they were singing? Uh, this is my rifle, this is my gun? No. Or the. Uh, Oh, when mighty they're cold. doing the cadence? Mighty cold. Yeah, yeah. Eskimo pussy Eskimo, is mighty yeah, cold. Yeah, Eskimo pussy is mighty cold. That's cadence. It's funny. Oh. All right, so now we go 12 years. The last, right? The last movie that Kubrick does. 87 was Full Metal Jacket. He waited until 1999, and he started doing it like 80, 97. And this was probably the biggest well-kept secret of a plot of a movie ever. Yeah. No one knew what this movie was about, and they were very cryptic about it, about what is this movie, is it about, and, and when everyone saw it, there was a good amount of people that were disappointed because it was built so much, like, this is Stanley Kubrick's movie, and we're not allowed to talk about it, and this and that. I loved it. This is one of he's my- He's got two, he's got three of his last three movies are all in my top 20. Yeah. I mean, full uh, Eyes Wide Shut is obviously one what of, we're talking about. I love Eyes Wide Shut. One of my favorite movies of all time. I, I, I really oh. love it too. And there's a, there's a good amount of people that don't like it. There's the a pacing. lot of people that it's don't like the and, and that's the reason we like that's it. There's a lot of like a lot of people don't. Oh. And uh, <coughs> most people, and it's probably the the best pod for Justin to miss too because <laughs> he can listen to it and we'll give him the. You the trying meat to give Justin shit? Well, you're and, not even here to defend yourself. I, you hear what he's doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I remember when we were talking about doing a Kubrick one, and I knew Justin was going to be on it, and I was like, man, I would love to give him eyes wide shut, but I can't think of a more movie that's going to annoy the hell out of him to really? try to get through Maybe. because as much good stuff as it, there is in it, it is slow. It's and, super and, slow. And it, it's super slow, but enjoyable slow for me, and. So what we're dealing with in this movie is you're dealing with the relationship that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman have, and greatest opening shot. Yeah, greatest opening shot movie. ever. It really is. It's a, a great one. Uh, I thought I like. <laughs> I don't want to feel. Se- I don't want to be sexist or anything, <laughs> but it's the greatest shot. Uh, yeah, Nicole Kidman uh, drops her like uh, her what skirt or uh, slip at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and she's like butt ass naked, yeah. and. You, at the beginning, you're just seeing these two people kind of live their life. They're raising their kid. They're both doctors. And they're both doctors. You get to see... Uh, that uh, kid was from like Patriots game or something. Oh, was it? I can't even remember yeah. the kid. She the was red, so little, little red-headed kid. Huh. Oh, yeah. I'll have to look her up. But uh, you, you realize that when they get high that first time that Nicole Kidman has been unfaithful and she was unfaithful a, a while back and it's something or maybe she was it just the dreams or was she actually unfaithful with the marine officer with the marine something? officer I think she was I think she was I think well, they well later keep we it realized in... the constant thing was was she at that party you know and you never really did know yeah you never did know uh, but she you, you kind of got I the impression she that she was because she left the mask out and you kind of yeah how I asked would she leave the mask I mean she, so you kind of got the idea that she was. You got to see him at this party she at was the good very at, beginning of the movie. what she was doing, the yeah. game she was playing. But the the beginning of the movie, you got to see like that scene we were talking about a couple weeks ago where he's got those two, like the two of the hottest kind of young oh. women you ever see in your life escorting Tom Cruise, who you would think Tom Cruise would be Do you want to go where the rainbow with? ends? Yeah, yeah. Where does the rainbow end? Uh, and they're like, come and find out. <laughs> it's uh, like, okay. <laughs> but it's this <laughs> big party at Sydney Pollock's One of the house. most beautifully filmed scenes yeah. ever. That staircase yep. with the back rope lighting mm-hmm. going up the strands with the panning of his camera. It's, if you want like a film 101 yeah. lighting, oh, it's that, that whole scene with the candles. And, and when you're watching Tom Cruise with the two girls and then you're watching Nicole Kim and dance with that guy, you get the idea that these <laughs> the guys... Low, the low red m- 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you get the impression that... 
these guys will cheat on each other. They don't have to be pushed far to do it. Yeah. Like their relationship isn't super, super strong. He wasn't going to go with those girls. Uh, though, no, think. I don't think he was going to go with the girls as much as she wouldn't go with that yeah. guy. But you could tell even during that first fight they had why they were smoking. I don't want to go past the part with Sidney Pollock though, because Sidney Pollock, remember, has the girl oh, yeah, yeah. deeds. Oh, yeah. And if you don't know Sidney Pollock, Sidney Pollock's one of the greatest directors. Mm-hmm. And he also is an actor. He comes in and he does some great stuff for like. 10 scenes in movies. One of the more notably one to me is uh, Tootsie. He was the producer or oh, the right. uh, the agent for Dustin Hoffman right. who shows up at the uh, at the restaurant dressed as his Tootsie character and he doesn't know who the hell it is. Uh, but by far the Every best Every time he's acting, on the screen... It's very captivating. He's He delivers lines really well. Yeah. You believe him. Mm-hmm. He brings a lot of earnestness to he, his roles. One of the greatest things that I saw him in was that George Clooney movie. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. Yeah, he was really good in Clayton. He's so great in everything. Yeah. I think Eyes Wide Shut was probably his best. There was a great Just because of the character he was. Well, there was a scene where they're at this party at the beginning of the movie where he is, hes you could tell he's having sex with, or he had recently had sex with this girl, and she's OD'd. And she bring he brings Tom Cruise in there because Tom Cruise can keep it kind of silent, but he's also a doctor and he could figure out what's going on uh, there and everything. And you could see Sidney Pollock's kind of like uncomfortable with the whole thing, and he's trying to kind of beat around the bush of what happened and everything. But he's he, he's somewhat candid to Tom Cruise of what's going on. Uh, when does the actual? Oh, it's when he, he meets, meets the, the saxophone piano player. the piano player, and he went to med school with him. Yeah. And he was like, well, "What happened?" He's like, "This I was one out. night that he didn't he have a fight with Nicole Kidman, and, and he went out. And they got smoked. A drink. Pot, they smoked pot together, and she goes. He on went this to a bar, rant. and the guy happened to be yeah, doing. But a, he left the house after the fight. He yeah, had like a exactly. fight with Nicole Kidman. Yep. He goes out on the street. Meets this guy random. He gives him this weird story about what he's been doing. Like he has to play blindfolded at these crazy rich people's. And Tom Cruise is like, and what the hell? And are you you're thinking about? the whole time is a swingers party. Yeah, and Tom Cruise is like, you got to get me into yeah. this. And he's so like, he's I, like, I can't. You, you don't know how serious this yeah, is. And it Tom has like Cruise hidden like locations and like weird passwords. And yeah. so he finally gives him a password. Yeah. The, the, and the creepiest scene of this entire movie is about to happen at this point. Yeah. He. It's the day, the next night. So he has like one day's notice mm-hmm. to go to this party. So he has to go find the costume. Yeah. Remember when he goes and sees the, the guy from Snatch. The guy from Snatch. Yeah. Who, or the saint. He was good in that. Yeah, yeah. Who runs this costume shop. Yeah. And would, like he pounded on the door until the guy opened. But then you find out he's like pimping his underage daughter. You don't out. even realize that until the next day. Yeah. Until, you, the, you realize. until the Japanese guys are in the closet or something. Yeah. Well, and remember, he's all right with it. And then, yeah. uh, and the next day, they're all clothed and they're shaking his hand. Exactly. And, and Tom Cruise even asks about it. He's like, "What about what happened that night when I left? Oh, we came to an understanding or something like that." Yeah. It was it was really weird and creepy and kind but then of. Then uh, the movie was weird from that point on. Yeah. Well, it it had this kind of impending doom where you were con- really concerned. Uh, if Tom Cruise was found out at this party. So what he did is he, he finds out the code word, he shows up at the party, stupidly shows up in a taxi cab, which kind of <laughs> red lights were flashing right after that. But <laughs> the password was good. He go, he goes in there and he now witnesses almost like this ultimate sex party between some of the most uh, 
rich and influential richest people, and in, influential the people in the whole city, if not the world. You don't yeah. know how many people fly in. It's like the biggest mansion you could possibly imagine. But, but it's also this kind of a weird cult, cult situation yeah. going on yep. where if you went into the main room. <laughs> chanting, right? You're chanting, right? Yeah, the very <laughs> chanting. So everyone's wearing masks, so no one knows who they are. And hoods. And, and hoods, and anyone could be in there. And uh, you, you find out Sidney Pollock was there, but you don't know who he was. Uh, I wonder if he actually was in the scenes that they wearing a mask. I would Probably. love to know where, which he was. <clears throat> so you're seeing them go through this crazy ritual and they're doing this pounding of the drums and one girl, they're on a circle and the girls are like topless and they're... they're no, completely naked. At one point they are, I thought. Yeah, uh, they dropped their Yeah, whole they dropped the, their whole... There's a lot of nudity in this Tons movie. of nudity in this movie. This was right up with uh, Clockwork Orange for uh, some of his more nudity. Less rapey. Uh, definitely less rapey. Uh, but this and Clockwork Orange definitely take the nudity kind of to the next level. Uh, and they warned you of this when you were going to see this movie, that there was going to be some intricate stuff done uh, with what was going on in those rooms. And, he, and it was taste, the, the sex scenes were tastefully done with like a person in the foreground in yeah, front of them. Yeah. But you can see you, thru- really you saw thrusting and stuff, but that's yeah. about it. And then at some point, uh, Tom Cruise gets called out. Well, doesn't someone come and tries to warn tell her? He tries to, to warn go. him, you should leave, you shouldn't be here and everything. And before... Before he even gets done with the conversation, the people are like, "You got to come with me." And he's like, "Where are you going to take her?" And, yeah. uh, and you got a bad feeling. You got a bad feeling. What's going to go on? Like, you, they might kill Tom Cruise, uh, is what you're thinking. You got that sense. Yeah, you got that sense. So we went in the back of the room, and everyone's quiet. That whole room that was going through this whole ceremony, and they're all staring at him now. And they're 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 uh, hoping to catch people so they can they get down to the point where they're like strip your clothes off and right before he ends up having to do it that woman says stands up for him and says wait i will stand up for him and i'll stand in for him i'll stand in for him and everything and they she they're like you know what that means yes i know what that means and uh then it gets a little strange the next day because you they find a body yeah and tom cruise is like holy shit is it that woman that stood in for me and so he has to start doing this kind of backtracking investigation and everything and he gets he a little information that when he Pollock. goes to San, uh, Sydney Pollock and uh, he explains to me he says you don't realize how close you were to getting in some deep deep shit when you were there the other night and he said there were some people there I'm not going to tell you their names <laughs> but if I told you their names you would be shocked uh, who, was, who was at the party well there was that one scene where he goes back to that mansion remember and he's yep. ringing the gate doorbell yeah, like no a, one's there like, you could tell well, someone was, drives down yeah. there was like a pop-up a type of thing with this whole thing and yeah, yeah it's a pop-up it, it's <laughs> it's really it's definitely a pop-up it's very slow it's very tonally driven uh the camera shots are amazing but it, it was beautiful it was an amazing film and uh interesting trivia where he spent so long filming it. I remember Tom Cruise had said, "Stanley, yeah. you just need, you just need to tell me." He says, "I don't care if you want to take six more months for us to be on it. That's fine. You just gotta just tell me." Give me an end date for Christ's sake. And he, him, and Nicole Kidman had agreed to be open-ended contracts, mm. which seems like a genius fault. thing. It is his fault. So he underestimated. I don't have to tell you. How, you signed a contract. I mean, he wanted to be part of it. I, <laughs> I guarantee you, it was the, one of the highlight of his careers being able to work with Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. I, I've never even heard Tom Cruise say it. And I can almost guarantee that it's the truth because. He understood Stanley for who he was. He was mm-hmm. he was a genius. He spent over a year editing the film, and then the as the uh, I guess it's a true bit of trivia that he handed the final cut over to Warner Brothers, and, and then he died four days later. 
It's yeah. just, and thankfully, he pushed it over that line and he got it out to us. And I don't think it got as well received as it should have. Uh, I, now that we're looking back, I think people are realizing the genius that it was. 99, so that was like 20 years. It's very um, artsy. Very artsy. Very incredible. One of Tom Cruise's best films that he gets overlooked for a lot of movies because he gets kind of wrapped into the whole Scientology crap, which I think is ridiculous also, but you can't uh, overlook the fact that Tom Cruise is a really great actor who puts out quality, quality stuff one after another after another. And I think this was one of the uh, ones where it really showcased that. Uh and it's a shame. So Stanley never got to see it in the theater. Never got to see anyone's reactions to uh, how it came out. I mean, maybe he saw the finished. He saw the finished movie, product, so that's good. And uh, hopefully, people weren't now that he was dead. Say, oh, now we can cut the hell out of this. I think everyone realized we got to have to keep Stanley's vision intact, even though his real vision probably would have been a six-hour movie. Yeah, but <laughs> no, it no, it was good. It, and it's a real shame when we lose somebody of this high quality. Uh, it'd be like losing Quentin Tarantino or or even almost worse would be Quentin agreeing to stop making movies like he's threatened to do. Don't do it because we know he is that next level filmmaker who is going to put increasingly he's got a vision and a style that really needs to be pushing the limits and going on to be making movies where his numbers are in the 20s and 30s instead of number eight. I mean, it's hard to believe that uh, Quentin has done so little movies. Stanley, you understood. I mean, he died early on. He would probably would have done another. Well, the gaps like he takes to, between movies, he probably would have only done two more. What by I like now. to think of is that they just they do something, and it's they have to recover because it was so. Oh yeah, exhausting. Oh yeah, years. They put this is like parts of their lives. Spent four years doing The Shining or whatever. Yeah, you can imagine their family mental fatigue on your family. On yeah, there's you a just, lots of filming of uh, of his daughter and his wife on the set of The Shining. I've seen lots of photos of him taking pictures of his daughter or his wife filming the little mini documentaries on it and everything. So you, you knew these were huge parts of their lives too. So it's it's really interesting that he's got this great. Like I said earlier, there's not many directors out there that could have every movie they've done being great. You know? I mean, I can't really... Other than maybe Quentin, and you might argue a couple flicks here and there. There's, yeah. Because almost Co- I love Coen Spielberg. Brothers Spiel- Coen Brothers is very close to that, too. But you could even argue Intolerable That's Cruelty true. maybe mm-hmm. wasn't as good, or the uh, uh, that Hail Caesar one wasn't up to par. Uh, even Spielberg's got some stinkers in there, but he had a good amount. He puts out quantity more than quality more uh, yeah. so over the years. But there was a while there. About the bills. He was for a while there up until maybe he did Always. <laughs> he was hitting it on all, all cylinders too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember Louis Anderson talking about Spielberg. He has to move money to go to the bathroom. He's so rich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's Stanley Kubrick, man. I mean, it, I, I couldn't recommend... Uh, what what are your what's his favorite movie on here? Oh man! I know I got to put you in that position because <sighs> you're gonna have to leave one of your favorites of your three top twenties off. There's four, yeah, or it, five. It's a hard one, um, man. I get. I guess I would have to say Eyes Wide Shut for yeah. watchability. Yeah, like I can put that movie on anytime. I would probably say Full Metal Jacket. I just love it. I love it. Uh, and you can go through so many different things watching that movie. Uh, yeah, but like you said, it's hard to narrow it down because I like every if one of his films. you love films, he, he's a film lover's dream. Yeah, like, he really if you is. you really like films, the way they're made, the essence of them, not the, just the stories, Every aspect. Every it, aspect. The yeah. lighting, the, the, the way the frame moves. The specific actors that he's chosen to yeah. be in them. And I when mean, you get, get those guys like a Kubrick, 
they start like a demi. They have their own style that well, builds you, like a Cohen. Like, when you're going into his movies, stylistic. you know he's not phoning anything in because you know no. he spent so much time doing it. No one who does 100 takes on a simple, simple scene <laughs> yeah. like is ever folding it in. Yeah. I wonder if he ever kept the first take on one he made. Uh, I hope he, didn't tell, hope he didn't tell people. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure he did it too. You know what kept your first take, right? Oh, you oh. son bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, you feeling bad doing it like four times. Oh, I made him do that seven times. Yeah, and I picked I made him run around that corner seven times. Yeah, whatever. Stanley would have made you do it a hundred. Yeah, be thankful. Kiss my ass. <laughs> Although Stanley would. All right, so that's uh, it's it's where we've waited this long to get to the uh, to Stanley as one of our director series. But if you go back, you can check out a lot of our director series. We do They're Spielberg, we do Coen Brothers, we do uh, Fincher. We haven't done uh, the several that I know that we would uh, would definitely the, going to do in the future. We have Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so much that you don't remember his name. Uh, we haven't done Christopher Nolan yet, and he would definitely be on our list. Maybe when that Tenant comes closer to. Coming out, which is a, it's a weird movie. It's his next big movie that they're very sketchy about uh, what it's about, similar to like Interstellar. Very tight lipped. So we're gonna see next year. I think. It, I think they're showing trailers for it now. It comes out like fall of next year. I was like, Jesus. I mean, twenty twenty isn't that far away. So is, I like a lot. Of yeah, he does a lot of good stuff, man. Uh, two of my other favorite directors right now, that Ari Aster, who does, um, who did Hereditary and Midsummer, which you haven't seen. I just got it in the mail yesterday. In fact, you want to borrow it tonight and give it back to me tomorrow? I'll let you borrow it, but I'm gonna Maybe. I gotta watch it with my girl. It's, Did, um, it's one of the best horror movies I've seen in the last ten years because it's very tonal. I think you'll really enjoy cool. it. It's very slow. You liked Hereditary too. I did. It was some difficult stuff in there, but it was very. Uh, I loved it. Did you hear about not to get off track? That now that we're ending. So, <laughs> did you hear about that uh, that Thor Ragnarok director's new movie? Oh, the JoJo, Jojo Rabbit? Rabbit? Have you seen the trailer? Yeah. It's crazy. It's great. It's, it's one of those movies that's so crazy. He did an interview so on crazy. NPR today talking about it. Yeah. It was. It sounds phenomenal. Yeah. It, it's weird. It's one of those movies that is so weird that it has to be good. And he is so funny. He was in Thor Ragnarok yeah. as one of the funnier characters in it. And he's the one who plays Hitler and, in, in this and new movie. And Hitler is this boy's imaginary friend. Yeah, yeah. And trying to get him through the Hitler Youth Academy. It, it's very it strange, crazy. man. And it, it was, it's a comedy. And it's it, very... This is the weird part. The, she was on, He was on Terry Gross today. And she was like, the, this was based off a novel, mm-hmm. and the novel was a straight drama. Yeah. And so, he made it into a comedy. He's really good. He's one of the best directors. He, We got really lucky for him to do Thor Ragnarok. That's the one that you should probably check out, not being a huge Marvel fan, even though, I mean, well, there was you it, would like. You showed me a, like a 10-minute scene just weird, man. with it's, Jeff it's, Goldblum. Yeah, he's like uh, Luke Basson or uh, even like a more indie Luke Basson. The, the colors uh, are crazy. He's got crazy colors palette in his head, and he, uh, I think it, Jojo Rabbit just premiered like last night, I think, so it's. I think it comes out this week. And it's one of those indie movies that if you don't know about it, that uh, I, I think it'll be one of those sleeper hits that ends up winning. He um, he brought the screenplay to whoever did it. Yeah, and they got back to him. They said, "We'll do the movie, but you have to play Hitler." Yeah, yeah. And he, that's our only condition. He's good. He's a really funny yeah. guy and a and really he great like, director, I want, he's uh, like, actor too. He's like I'm. He's like I'm dark skinned New Zealander. Yeah, with ethnic background. He's we'll like, how am it. I getting? We'll make it work. We made it work. <laughs> really great. Well, also, I should mention that uh, we lost the great Robert Forster this week. I saw that. He's a really amazing actor. Two. Who, uh, had two got careers. His, uh, had yeah, two different careers. Absolutely. Quentin revitalized his career, and there's a lot of video going around him talking have, about it. they call that the Quentin Touch or the Quentin they Effect? Should, they should call it the Quentin Effect for sure. I think you'll hear it here first. The Quentin Effect. Yeah. Because you, you can name a slew of actors you've done that for. We trademarked it. So it's and, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, so it was. Uh, it's sad to see him leave, but at least he put out. Tons Seven, of movies you watch. 
Uh, yeah, he was like 78. He had like, I think it was brain cancer. I think I had read something like that, that he had. So he must have had it for the last couple of years and we didn't, I, we just didn't know. Um, but phenomenal actor. So, all right. Well, next week, next week, we got something very exciting happening. I can't imagine what it yeah, is it looking is, at the decor. Yeah. Where you're surrounded by a lot of Halloween decorations. Yeah, and so it's, we're doing a Christmas pod. Yeah, we're a Christmas pod next. Uh, so yeah, we're going to do our Halloween pod and this uh, time we're going to do rounds of different favorite movies or horror scenes that are our favorite. Some of the funny stuff, some of the uh, creepy stuff that you have to turn away for, some of the sexy stuff. So we're, get, we're each going to go a different round with telling and Justin will be back for that. So uh, we're very interested in hearing the, uh, the back stuff from his big win. Thank for his big win. Good job, Justin. We're already crowning you. I'll get another ET figure for you. <laughs> uh, so if you want to get a hold of us, you can uh, give us a like or a comment on SoundCloud or iTunes, our two platforms. You can also uh, shoot us an email at fascinatedwithfilms at gmail.com. Or even better, you can check us out on Facebook where uh, me and Justin are on uh, continuously throughout the day. If you want to leave us a comment or a question or uh, just shoot us a message. Some hate mail. Yeah, some hate mail. <laughs> Fascinating with films. We'll forward the hate mail to Dave. I, said, I got something I think was meant for you, Dave. <laughs> Dave sounds slow. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't afraid I can't do that. <laughs> All right, but until next week, see ya. Bye. Hell, I like you. You can come over to my house and fuck my sister. Mm-hmm.